This is the Manga Mavericks podcast from allcomic.com, episode 45. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Sid, and we have got a big one here for you folks tonight. And by that, I mean a long one, because we have three months worth of news to talk about. That's right. We have been behind on manga news for three months, so we are going to devote this podcast to cover it all. This is going to be a news-focused podcast, the first one we've done in a long time, but we have to do it because there's just too much news. We are looking at over 10 pages of news, folks. It's just too much. We have to get it out of the way. We have to let it go so we can be free, guys. We need to be free. We have spent the last two hours just looking over the news and seeing what we could cut out and organizing the news and just trying to whittle it down to an acceptable length. And we still have 10 pages, folks. It's still just so much, but... We have to talk about them because these are necessary stories. These are important to talk about because these are vital stories to understand where the manga industry is at now. And we are going to do it because that is the raison d'etre of this podcast to discuss the manga industry and what's happening in it. So we're going to do that right now. Just for the record, um, yeah, uh, Sid is that is no exaggeration when Sid says we spent two hours going through news and basically uh, curating, you know, what we wanted to keep and what we wanted to still talk about. Um, originally, we had about 17, 18 pages of news somewhere around there. Yeah. Uh, and we whittled it down to about 10. So this is still probably going to be like uh, about about a sweet two and a half hours. I'm just going to I'm just going to say, though, it's probably see now that I say that it's going to be weird when the final uh, product of this is out and it's and it ends up being like, like, I don't like two hours or something. I don't know. But yeah, I think we should just get started on the news. We, 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 ha- we still have a lot we need to talk about. Yeah, and it's 1 a.m. at the time we're recording this where I am. And I have been working 20-hour days for the past couple of weeks, so I'm pretty tired, but we are going to power through this, and we are going to start off talking about, as we usually do, some lists, some very interesting lists. And the first list we're going to talk about is the ICV2 list of the top 10 manga franchises of Fall 2017. And so, why don't we run these down from bottom to top? Alright, so at number 10, we have One Punch Man. At number 9, we have One Piece. At 8, we have various Junji Ito stories. At 7, we have Pokemon Adventures. At 6, it's Naruto slash Boruto. 5 is The Legend of Zelda. 4 is My Hero Academia. 3 is Death Note. 2 is Tokyo Ghoul. And 1, we have Akira. Now, to clarify what this list is ranking in terms of top 10 franchises of Fall 2017, these are the top-selling manga in North America from Fall 2017. So it's very interesting to look at this list and see what were the top sellers of Fall. Because we can see Akira's number one, most likely because of that really cool new box set that Kodansha Comics released last year. 
And so that was a top seller. We also see Death Note came in at number three. And while Death Note is a perennial favorite, I think that even though the movie was terrible, it still might have promoted Death Note in a roundabout way because it shot up the list quite a bit here. It was not in the top 10 manga franchises of spring 2017. So (laughs) that movie had an influence for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I clearly remember Viz uh, selling that, like, that entire, like, single omnibus collection of all of Death Note, which is, all, I've seen, I've seen the physical release of that, and it's a lot smaller than I thought it was going to be, actually. Um, and I remember, I remember the, I remember that product having, like, advertisement for the Netflix movie, and I was like, huh, well, I'm. I mean, I think, you know, a lot of Dead Note fans, they probably already own the manga. So I really do feel that the movie really promoted the manga. And so people who watched the movie and might not have known anything about Dead Note went out to seek out the series. Because uh, I remember I was taking a class last fall and I knew some guys in that class who had seen the movie and had not experienced Dead Note before, but they liked the movie. And because of that, they went out and started watching the anime and reading the manga. So (laughs) the Dead Note movie was not very good. And we talked about it at length here on the show before. But if nothing else, it did succeed in promoting the series to a wider audience and getting them interested in checking out the source material. So good on you for that, Dead Note Live Action Movie. You accomplished something, at least. Uh, I mean, I mean, what else can you do? I think that, that that's a good thing, I think, all around. Yeah, and that omnibus Wiz did for the entire series is pretty cool looking. I would totally get that if I didn't already own all of the manga already. I mean, it's definitely a good deal. $40 for 12 volumes. Yeah, like li- literally, what was it? Like 2,400 pages or something? I think yeah. it says on the front. Yeah, that's that's pretty that's pretty impressive, actually. And then the other really notable one on this list is that Junji Ito is here in the top 10 franchises, which is always cool to see. I'm glad that Junji Ito manga are such a big deal now that they are selling really well for Wiz and for other publishers who put them out. And yeah, it's cool to see that he's so successful now. He used to be a niche author you had to be in the know to like know about. But now he seems to be one of those mainstream kind of comics artists known in the U.S. by even like regular comics fans who might not be into manga itself. So that's pretty nice to see that he has such a reach over here. But why don't we move on to a different list? And this list is the American Library Association's uh, Young Adult Library Services Association uh, Top 10 Graphic Novels for Teens list. And they included My Brother's Husband in their top 10. Ooh, yes, that's that's nice to see. Seems to be the only manga in their uh, top 10. Uh, well, no, actually, Svetlana Shumkakov's Brave from Yen Press is also in the top 10. But yeah, it's really cool to see My Brother's Husband get some more recognition. And it was definitely one of my favorite manga of last year. I forget if it 
Did it win the Crunchyroll anime? No, uh, my lesbian experience won the Crunchyroll anime award. Yeah, but yeah, it was uh, my run assessment was still nominated for that. It was you know, it's up there with lesbian experience as one of the best manga of last year, and uh, I'm looking forward to the sequel. I'm just glad either of them won. Honestly, I don't. Yeah. I don't think. I don't think there was really a real loser there. Yeah, that the manga category had like really solid picks. I think all of them were worthy contenders. Um. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of going through the list of a uh, manga that I don't think are in the top ten, but are still, I guess, are are still in the list. Yeah, the list is 115 titles long, so there were bound to be some other manga included in there. But a lot of good picks, you know. They got Promise Everland in there. They got Hana and Hina After School in there. Happiness uh, in there. Yeah, some really good stuff. Um, I, I like the inclusion of, uh, of Bungo Stray Dogs and Erased. I think those are two very good series, in my opinion. Or, or at least, at least series I think are, are deserving to be on the list. Uh, all their picks that they have in their list seem to be pretty good stuff. So, good choices. Glad My Brother's Husband ranked at the top of manga selections for them in their top ten. And I'm hoping that... The second volume does just as well and gets just as much recognition. And you, I, I can, and we can guarantee that when the second volume is out, that we are going to be talking about the rest of it because I really want to, really, really badly. Definitely. <laughs> but let's talk about two different takes on what the highest selling manga in February were because this is very interesting because we have. Both the book scan monthly list for February, you know, the top 20 graphic novels of February that Bookstan compiled. But we also have a list of the top 50 manga sold in February from Diamond Comic Distributors. And what's interesting about these lists is the book scan list represents sales at Barnes & Noble and similar book chains like that and online sales. But they don't reflect comic book stores. But the Diamond list does reflect comic book specialty shops. So it's very interesting to me to compare these. So here on the book scan list, we have quite a few manga ranking in the top 20 as usual. We have Shiro Miwa's Ruby manga coming in at number four. We've got Tokyo Ghoul RE Volume 3 coming in at number eight. One Piece Volume 85 is here at number 10. We've got Dragon Ball Super Volume 2 at number 11. Splatoon Volume 1 at number 13, Black Butler 25 at 14, and My Hero Academia Volume 1 at 17. Some solid choices. Ruby is the highest selling manga February on the book scan list. Not too surprised because Ruby is such a popular franchise. Good to see One Piece new volumes are hidden in the top 10 on book scan. That's always nice to see. And the other... A series represented are not much of a surprise, but yeah, Splatoon looks to be quite popular. The manga version seems to be doing quite well. I should definitely check into that sometime. Uh, we should also mention that uh, My Hero Academia Volume 11 as well ranked number one on this list. So, Oh yeah, actually that was, I totally missed that. <laughs> that it was not because <laughs> it was number one. I totally missed that. But yeah, so Ruby was did not outsell My Hero Academia Volume uh, 11. But, you know, it was still pretty high up there. But yeah, MHA, as usual, 
continues to be a strong seller, which is no wonder why Viz has recently announced that they're going to do a big My Hero Academia catch-up and release a new volume every month until they are caught up with the Japanese volume releases because that has been something people have been demanding for a long time now because there's such a gap between where the anime is and where the manga is, whether you're following it in the graphic novels and if you're following it in Shonen Jump, there's just a huge gap between those. So I'm glad they're you know filling that demand. I remember Casey's been championing it for sure for a long time. So great that's happening. I think that's going to turn out really well for them. And it's not as crazy as what they had to do with Naruto and One Piece back in the day. Oh, yeah, I I remember that pretty vividly. (laughs) But now I want to look over at what the Diamond Comics top list for manga is. And I'm only going to go over what their top 10 is. So we have a number one, the highest selling manga on Diamond's list is Tokyo Ghoul All RE Volumes 3. Then at number two, we have Battle uh, Angel Alita Mars Chronicle Volume 1 at number two. At number three, we have One Punch Man 13. At four, it's One Piece 85. Pokemon Hide and Seek, or rather Seek and Find, this is like a coloring book kind of thing, I think. That's not at number five. Black Butler Volume 25 is number six. Another Pokemon Seek and Find book is at number 7. Assassination Classroom 20 is 8. Uh, Boruto's Volumes 3 is at number 9. And Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess Volumes 3 is number 10. So what's interesting to me about this list is while My Hero Academia Volume 11 was number 1 on the other list on BookScan's list, it is not in the top 10 here. That's strange. Ruby is also absent here, even though that was number four on Bookscan's list. And in general, there are a lot of things that ranked in Bookscan's top 20 last month that are not in the top 10 of what Diamond's list is. So that is quite interesting to me, that people that are buy their comics at specialty shops seem to have different interests than what people who are buying at like these major book retailers are you know going for or perhaps the audience is such in a way that people seek out a series like my hero academia at major bookstores but they aren't going to comic book stores to find them so i thought that was a very weird interesting thing yeah it looks like really the only similarities are are both like one piece and black butler it seems mm-hmm. and, and tokyo ghoul and Tokyo Ghoul, yeah. So I guess those are those are like the three series that these lists have in common. Otherwise, yeah, they're pretty different, and I find that interesting. But to wrap up our discussion of manga sales, we will, of course, spotlight one of the biggest sellers in the manga industry right now, and that's Attack on Titan. And we've got an update that Attack on Titan's first volume sold... 21,000 copies in the U.S. in 2017. Hmm. Okay, so I I guess I must have missed that part, because when I read the headline of, of the article, for some reason, I, I just assumed, like, that was all Attack on Titan has sold since, like, since it, like, debuted in the U.S. That and would I, I thought, be surprising. <laughs> I was going to say, that, that kind of, so I thought that was kind of confusing. I, I guess as far as, so I guess if it's, if it, if it sold that much in one year, I guess that that makes a little more sense. Okay. 
What is also interesting is that ICV2 also reported that a rough calculation shows that Yuri manga outsell Yaoi in bookstores by a slim margin. So that's an interesting bit of unrelated news there. But yeah, so some interesting statistics from the manga market. I would be interested to know like exact numbers for some other series uh, sold in the U.S. Like uh, My Hero Academia, how the first volume of that is continues to fare as we're still seeing it as a regular appearance on book scan lists and stuff. So interesting to see how the numbers climb for those. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to know like statistics for stuff like One Piece and One Punch Man and... Um... Even like Tokyo Ghoul, I'd be kind of interested to see uh, how much of those really do sell, S- especially since those those are some more those are some more like really big like hits over here that I know obviously sell well enough to continue being released. So there are a lot of big hitters in the uh, manga industry right now that are sell really well on the North American market, and Attack on Titan is remains a big one. Um, probably not as big as One Punch Man and Tokyo Ghoul anymore, because at the very least, I feel like uh, those outsell it. And My Year Academia, of course, seems to be more at the top these days, but it's very interesting to think about those numbers. But it seems that one of those big sellers might be drawing to a close, because Tokyo Ghoul RE seems to be entering its final arc. Because the wraparound jacket for its 14th volume advertised it as plunging into the final arc. So that's, of course, a vague statement. Who knows exactly how much longer Tokyo Ghoul RE is going to go. But we might see this series drawing to a close. Tolton, do you think that within a year or two, we will finally be free of Tokyo Ghoul? two years yeah at the very least two years based on the rate of release in the u.s and that's if it ends this year i i say two years mostly based on like well maybe it could end in like a year i don't really know i don't i obviously don't really keep up with tokyo ghoul so i don't really know i don't know how much story is really left to tell but i say two years mostly mostly due to like how long will its popularity last, I guess, after it ends? But I guess that's kind of a silly question, considering, like, it'll still have volume releases over here after it's done. But mm-hmm. I, I I am interested in seeing, like, how long its popularity will last after it's all, I guess, after its release here is done I, I, and finished or whatever. It'll be very curious to see how that will turn out. Although... For all we know, Tokyo Ghoul could just continue with a different series. You know, they could, they could <laughs> keep franchising it. It might never die. Yes, we could get a Tokyo Ghoul Riri. Yeah, I mean, befitting for a manga basically about zombie people. Or maybe like a Tokyo, a, a re-Tokyo Ghoul Re. <laughs> re, no, re-Tokyo Ghoul Re. <laughs> uh, re, re Tokyo Ghoul Re Z, something like that. Re Tokyo Ghoul Re Zero, the crossover <laughs> everyone would watch. Connect every time Kaneki dies, he'll come back to life in the past and have to redo everything. That he'll sounds go hilarious. Back to the beginning of the series, and have to redo everything. <laughs> uh, uh. But there are a lot of series that are 
going to be ending soon, or at least heading towards their ending. Another pretty notable one is the irregular at Magic High School. The light novels seem to be heading towards their climax, which this is a series that, uh, when it was adapted to anime, was not particularly well received from what I remember, but it is one of the most popular light novels on the scene right now. So it's very interesting to see this one might be wrapping up. But there is stuff that are definitely ending soon, and we know when they're going to end. And one of those series is Dakashi Kashi. This is one of the more popular Shonen Sunday series I feel right now, just because it has an anime, one that has been airing this season, and unfortunately I don't think was picked up. No, it was by Funimation. But, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, so that's nice. Uh, changed format this season into more... Uh, 11-minute episodes instead of half-hour ones, which uh, is pretty fair. But yeah, the Gashi Kashi, the manga will be ending on April 11th in Shonen Shunde's uh, 20th issue. So I don't know if it's kind of sudden, uh, at least if you have been following up on the series or uh, reading it vicariously through Bomber's blog. But yeah, I mean, it'll be a shame to see this one go. It's a charming, funny series. And uh, I really like Kojiyama's art style, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he'll do next, or uh, they'll do next. I'm not sure of their gender, but yeah, mm, yeah. I'm. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Mu- I don't know much about the Deka- Kashikashi, but it seems cute, and I should probably check it out sometime. Mm-hmm. I haven't been following this season of the anime, so I don't know if they'll be adapting the ending to. Uh, but hopefully, they'll make a season three if uh, they don't. Uh, we can. We'll just have to see. I, ho- I hopefully we can get more Takashi Kashi anime. But uh, something that will also be ending in April is Hiroyuki Takei's Nekogahara Stray Cat Samurai. That will be ending in the uh, May issue of Shonen Magazine Edge on April seventeenth. This is a series Takei has been running since twenty fifteen. It's a pretty stylish samurai manga except all the characters are cats and uh it's 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 uh, bloody it's crude and it's a lot of fun i have enjoyed reading it it looks like it'll be ending with its fourth volume since the last volume was the third and i'm looking forward to seeing how it'll end and uh, what takei will do after it and i guess with the end of uh nekogahara looks like uh you know we, we still got more shaman king coming up Oh, that is true. A new Shaman King series, uh, a new spin-off is supposed to come out next month. It's supposed to start, I think. So that'll be very interesting to see. But another series that is going to be ending uh, is pretty soon is Bisco Hattori's Behind the Scenes. She's been running this manga since May 2014. It'll likely end with its seventh volume, which will ship sometime in this summer. Biscuatori is perhaps best known for her seminal series, Orin High School Host Club, which was, and I think still remains, one an incredible popular series. Uh, I remember back in the day, 10 years ago, this was one of the big series that everyone would talk about. And it's definitely a, considered a classic today. I don't think any of her other works have been adapted into anime, but we have had her other series been released over here by Wiz Media. So I definitely hope to check out behind the scenes now that it's concluding and give that a read because I do love Oran a lot. 
Yeah, I uh, I guess on the topic of Oran, I, I just got done watching all of Oran like about a month or two ago, uh, thanks to a good friend of mine. And uh, it is so much better than I ever thought it would be. Like, I I mean, a couple, like, I want to say like probably like nine or ten years ago, you know, I kind of sort of dismissed it as, oh, people only like it because of like superficial reasons. Like, oh, they like it because the guys are hot and that's it. Like, you I, made I an never. Presumptive, uh, prejudiced, <laughs> uh, misconception of it. You, uh, you prejudged it without having watched it. I, I did. And that was not fair a, of me. You judged in a book by its cover. I literally. sure did. Um, yeah, I did, I did that a lot couple years back i don't i try not to do that as much anymore i actually try to give things a chance but yeah no because i i knew a lot of i like i I a lot of my um a lot of my female friends really liked it and i just assumed that was it but no like i was surprised to see that it was like actually funny i i remember laughing out loud quite a few times at a lot of different episodes i was actually really interested in a lot of the characters too so I, I would not mind digging into more Bisco Hattori works, and uh, I think behind the scenes is something I'd like to look into after I eventually read all of Oran. I think I think Millennium Snow is also uh, something she's done as well. I think Viz has released that, and they're doing, like, omnibuses of that. So, they're, they're, I, I guess, yeah, there are a couple of Bisco Hattori works I'd like to get into at some point, because her stuff seems to be pretty great, honestly. Uh, shame on you for uh, assuming that it wouldn't be funny, or think, or being <laughs> surprised that it was funny. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I love uh, Oran. I think this cartoon is pretty great mangaka, and I definitely want to read more of her work because I just uh, haven't gotten around to it. But I've always been interested in it. Oran's definitely one of my uh, all time all time uh, favorites, or at least it is a series I uh, have a lot of fond memories of. Mm, yet, yet, yet another shoujo manga artist that we need to talk about on the show at some point. Definitely. But now we'll talk about some series, or at least a series that has ended, except not really. A lot of stuff has been ending in Shonen Jump recently that we are not going to go over because it was too much. And what is there really to say about Cross Account anymore? You know, we we set our piece on that. Uh, but it but ended. Sid, the people Des- the people demand more freakouts. <laughs> no, it ended deservedly so. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I I expelled all my rage on it in that podcast, and uh, <laughs> if it had continued and it got an anime, then my rage would uh, resurface, and you would not hear the end of it. But you know, it's, man, it's what could have been? <laughs> what could have been? Yeah. Uh, that would have been something. But no, uh, a series that I actually really like has ended, and that's The Disastrous Life of Psyche K. Uh, that ended in the 13th issue of Shonen Jump, which was uh, came out on like the end of February. But even though it uh, ended, it, it's not really gone, because on March 5th, it came back as a four-panel manga sequel. It basically rebooted its format. It retooled its format. It's just continuing on as a four-coma series. Hmm. Uh, presumably, this is going to be like a short live thing this is only going to be like a limited run that's meant to just create some additional material for when the final volume comes out it's not too dissimilar to what they did with assassination classroom assassination classroom ended and then they had like a four chapter mini series they ran to kind of have content to fill up that final volume so this is kind of like a similar approach but for all we know maybe psyche k could 
continue in this format in the future. Because, uh, who knows? In any case, perhaps the currently ongoing second season anime will con- uh, adapt its ending. That'll, that would be nice to see. And in general, I'm sad to see Saikiki go. And uh, maybe hopefully one day the manga can get a release over here. Because I would like to read the manga version of it too. Oh, man, yeah, I I hope so because I'm I'm currently reading through Assassination Classroom right now, and uh, there's actually a I I don't I I don't know if I forgot about it or if I just didn't know, but I guess Assassination Classroom and uh, Psyche Kusuo actually had a crossover at one point. They did, and 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 it is included in I think Volume Four of Assassination Classroom. Which means Viz did translate it, and it is a part of their release. So it was really nice to see uh, Psyche Kusuo in in English for a little bit, and you know just that and like there are subtle references to it, and like in Assassination Classroom itself that I found very humorous. But yeah, I'd like I, I read that recently, and I thought, man, I wish we had more of this. I I really I really wish I wish it wasn't a part of Netflix's like I don't know. I, I really wish Netflix didn't have it because I, I I really I, I was really looking forward to watching that week to week and now we got to wait for Netflix to put it out maybe hopefully I don't know it's just it makes me really sad. I hope they keep the same actors from the dub that Funimation did because the guy who did uh, Psyche was so good. He's Jimmy Kudo and uh, the Detective Conan dub. Uh yeah, Jerry Jewell. Jerry Jewell, yeah, he's super good. Yeah, he's pretty good at that character. Yeah, I I just want more Psyche Kuso. It's like one of my new favorite things. And I just, I really want to read all of it at some point. Mm-hmm. Hopefully. But Psyche K is not the only series that is coming back, or at least uh, seems to have a resurgence after it ended. This time, though, we're talking about a series that is coming back after, you know, <laughs> a decade? compared to one week and that series is Muyo and Roji that series uh, is getting a sequel that has already come out on March 19th and is serializing on Shonen Jump Plus and Muyo and Roji uh, we'll talk about this a little later but that series is getting an unexpected resurgence these days and that's quite curious to see also currently serializing in Shonen Jump Plus is a new Godzilla Planet of the Monsters manga adaptation based on the current anime uh, franchise films that they're doing so that could be interesting to read too I'm hoping that uh, Wiz adds it to the Shonen Jump free section both the Godzilla and Muyo and Roji stuff because they did translate Muyo and Roji, the original. And Godzilla, of course, should speak for itself. Man, yeah, that Godzilla movie, I was really looking forward to it, and it was just, man. Well, what what did you think of it? Because I kind of thought it was, I honestly thought it was a little boring. Maybe the manga can be better. Hopefully. <laughs> like how the Juni Tyson manga is better than the Juni Tyson anime, you know? That's, that's what I hear, and it makes me want to read it, honestly. It's pretty fun. But Muyo and Roji is not the only classic jump series that's seeing an unexpected resurgence. Because Captain Tsubasa is getting not one, but two new spin-off manga coming out in April. To coincide with the release of the new anime reboot that is also coming out next month and being distributed by Viz Media. And the first one of these is Captain Tsubasa Kids Dream. That is coming out... 
on April 6th in Psycho Jump. I don't think we have a synopsis of what that'll be about, but I assume it'll follow Tsubasa in his childhood days. That's interesting considering like Psycho Jump, at least from what I've seen, mostly runs like a lot of like, like gag series based yeah. on like really popular stuff. So that's kind of interesting to see something like Captain Tsubasa in the mix. That'll probably be what this new spinoff is kind of like. That one will probably be a gag type of spinoff. And then this other spinoff might be a more serialized, serious take on Captain Tsubasa. This other Captain Tsubasa spinoff that's coming out is coming in Grand Jump Premium. And that's coming out on April 25th, uh, the May issue of Grand Jump Premium. We have Captain Tsubasa Shonen Hen. Or otherwise translated as Captain Tsubasa, the boyhood arc. And this will focus on Tsubasa's elementary school years. Just like how the anime is going to focus on the early part of Captain Tsubasa where he's in his elementary school years. So that is pretty cool. That uh, We're going to have two different Captain Tsubasa among it. They're going to de- each have a different kind of take on the same kind of uh, time line of Captain Tsubasa, the same kind of point in the narrative of that series. Man, I really hope Captain Tsubasa takes off over here, because that would be a nice be a nice change of pace. It's unlikely to get big, but hopefully it'll find its niche audience in the same way some other classic revivals have. Uh, unlike a series that we're going to talk about now, Hoshin Engi, whose anime adaptation was not the best. It was quite a disappointment. Uh, I have been disappointed in, in it, and it has not uh, turned people onto the source material. But regardless, it is going to be seeing another resurgence in manga form because it has a new series, a sequel that will come out on April twenty sixth in Young Jump. Mm, yeah, that'll be interesting to see. And it's from Ryu Fujisaki as well, so... Yeah, the man himself. He's going to be drawing a sequel to Hoshinengi. And so I'm definitely curious to see what that'll be about. It seems like it's going to be a limited-run series, so it probably won't go on for too long. But definitely very curious about it. We should also mention that uh, Viz recently just started putting up volumes of Hoshinengi uh, available for digital pur- uh, purchase over on uh, on their website, so... You know, if you wanted, if you maybe wanted to read Hoshinengi and, you know, you thought, um, the, this anime is not that great, but I still kind of want to check it out, then you can go do that. Um, I need to do that myself because I was really looking forward to kind of just, cause, you know, I had seen Hoshinengi around, but I had never actually, I might have read like a chapter or something, but I didn't really know much about it, but it looked interesting. So like, I was kind of hoping this new anime would be a good jumping off point for me, just as somebody who's not very familiar with the, with the series and, let me tell you, as somebody who doesn't know much about Hoshinengi or the story, um, like I could clearly tell they were just kind of, they were just kind of just trying to get through the story and not really giving you any time to like bask in things. Like there's, I had like no emotional connection to anything at all. It was like, it was so disappointing. Yeah, they're literally adapting a volume per episode and Hoshinengi doesn't have any padding as a story in the manga, you know, there's not stuff that you can excise and like, it, it'll be fine, you know, so you gotta, 
it had to go at a slower pace, but no, they, they decided, uh, we'll adapt the volume per episode and uh, just rush through all these story points and skip over important plot details and characters for some reason. So that's uh, very strange. I, I don't know what their attitude towards that is. Uh, I wouldn't go out of the way and make a petition to uh, <laughs> get the staff changed like one very selfishly entitled fan did. Uh, very, very inappropriate gesture there. But I understand at least the disappointment because, uh, yeah, it's a pretty disappointing approach. Uh, but, uh, you know, I plan to read the manga at any rate. And uh, I hope we can discuss it on the show later this year. So mm, maybe, yeah, I'm still interested in it. I'm still interested in it too. I just, yeah, it it, it kind of makes me feel not skeptical, but kind of feel wary about like a certain other uh, jump anime coming up. But we'll we'll talk about that later. But let's transition from some revivals to something current, and that's the Promised Neverland, and. Apparently, The Promised Neverland might have reached its turnaround point, as the supervising editor for The Promised Neverland said in an interview on uh, Mountain Web News recently that the series was at the turnaround point, and that typically refers to the halfway point. It's like a racing terminology. It did not clarify whether this manga might be halfway done in terms of length or in terms of where the story is in terms of plotting. So it's very vague and you, we should all know by now that these kind of estimates are typically inaccurate because the mangaka can go on for way longer than uh, the mangaka can predict. We we know that for for uh, infamously from Echiroda saying that oh One Piece is going to be five years long. Uh no, uh, the halfway point is going to be Skybia. Oh no, it's going to be uh Water Seven. No, uh, it's going to be the White Beard War. Oh no, uh, uh it's sixty five percent done for sure. Uh, but uh, no. <laughs> so I I wouldn't take this like t- as a matter of fact or strictly oh we are definitely halfway done Promise Neverland but it's kind of interesting to see that they think at the very least that in terms of where they're planning the story to go right at this moment it is uh, seems to be halfway into where they want to take it but of course plans can always change and they can continue it past where they originally intended or they can flush that out more and hence it'll run longer. It's just interesting to see that at this stage they seem to feel confident that they're at the halfway point and that they're heading towards a end game or at least like they have a plan for where they want to take the story. I could see Promise Neverland at least lasting another like two or three years you know, I'm I'm sure it'll probably end before it's like fifth year anniversary. I could see I see that being very likely, I think, at this point. But like I, I still I still feel like it still has enough to go where like I don't know, I don't think it's gonna end like in the next year or so, because I feel like there's still a lot that this series needs to cover. Yeah, I mean if this was the halfway point, uh that would be like another year and a half worth of material then. So it would definitely take a year and a half to two years for to cover what uh, whatever rest they have would have planned. But um, I don't think that 
it's easier to predict where the Promised Neverland is going to go because not only could plans change, but just in general, it's a very unpredictable series. Oh, so. yeah. Um, I mean, I hope it sticks around as long as it can because it's obviously gaining a lot of popularity. And I guarantee that, you know, if you get the right people for an anime adaptation, it's going to it's going to blow up. Oh, yeah. That's something to look forward to. And another thing to look forward to is Masashi Kishimoto's next work, which has recently been confirmed to be a full-fledged serialization. Kishimoto has been confirmed to be coming back and doing a new series. Finally, he's moving on from Naruto and doing something new. So that'll be something to look forward to. My my mixed feelings on Naruto aside, um. I, I still like Kishimoto's work enough to where I personally look forward to reading another work of his because I because obviously he has a lot of interesting ideas. Like I really I still really enjoy his Mario one shot. I thought that was really interesting. I I hope maybe we can get more of something like that, possibly something a little more grounded, so, something a little more dramatic, I think. Um, but I mean, it's. I mean, you, I mean, you never know. I'm, I think I'm fine with whatever at this point. Or you know, actually, no, I, I forget. I, I totally forgot. I think he wants to do something. I think he's going for more something sci-fi related. I think he said it in, in an interview or something. I don't remember. I believe he did say that before. So it'd be very interesting to see what his next work is going to be like. I would like it to be different in feel from Naruto. Please, so yes. it'll be very interesting <laughs> to see in what form that'll be. I don't mean that as a slight towards Naruto. I just mean I think that I want to see him try a different kind of series in his next. Work. No, I but, agree. You know, Naruto is more of a ninja fantasy, so if he's going sci-fi, uh, that could be you know a different kind of focus, a different kind of feel, and I think that'd be nice. I'm looking forward to his next work personally. It's a time of new beginnings. The end of an era, beginning of a new one. That's what Kishimoto's new work will signal. And it also reflects to the ending of another Jump-related magazine, the beginning of another one. Jump SQ Crown, that has ended, that has uh, ceased publication. And it is going to be uh, replaced by a new magazine called Jump SQ Rise in April. Every year they end a jump SQ manga and it goes on for a year and they replace it with another one. It's very interesting, this approach. Mm, But basically, this is just the same jump SQ, but it's just going to be called a different name. Uh, But yeah, it seems that all the manga that run in the previous edition of jump SQ is going to continue on this new edition. It looks like Beat the Vandal Buster is uh, making a making a return in this new magazine as well, so that'll be interesting to look forward to. Man, will we ever get that Beat the Vandal Buster sequel in English? Only time will tell. Yeah, I just want Beat the Vandal Buster digitally. That'd be nice. I don't really want to have. Well, I'm sh- I'm sure it's still pretty readily available, isn't it? Maybe not. I don't know. I haven't really checked. I have no clue. Although. Relord and I did manage to get all the volumes recently, so hey, uh, it's not impossible. Hmm. Yeah, hopefully it's still around, because I would like to read it. Mm -hmm. But speaking of new manga magazines coming up, there is going to be a new Tesca-related magazine that is going to be debuting pretty soon. And that's the monthly Tesca Mix magazine. 
This is a new magazine that Tesco Productions is putting out that's going to start shipping out on April 30th and is planned right now to run monthly for 18 issues, so about a year and a half. It's going to celebrate the 90th anniversary of Osamu Tezuka's birth. Oh, wow. So the magazine is going to include works from various manga creators, and it's going to include Western artists too, which is very interesting. And it'll feature homages and remakes of Tezuka's work. And some mangaka that have already been uh, no listed as contributing work to this magazine include Hiroyuki Takei, Atsushi Kaneko of uh, Bambi and her Pink Gun fame, and Yuko Higuchi of Gustav fame. And uh, Takei has a some artwork that he's doing for the magazine uh, that has been scheduled, which seems to be like an Astro Boy-esque character done in his style. Looks pretty sweet. Ooh, yeah. Uh, I'm very interested to see what kind of stuff will come out from this. Uh, there's also a listing of some Western artists who will be doing work. They're going to be remaking or like uh, doing one short spin-offs of several of Tesca's iconic series. Uh, this includes a uh, spin-off of Message to Adolf by Juan Diaz Canales, Jungle Emperor by Reno Lemire, Blackjack by Ken Nomura and Joe Kelly, Sengoku the Monkey by Kenny Reese, Princess Knight by Elsa Bantz, Metropolis by Matthew Bablé, Dororo by Philippe Cardona and Florence Torta, and A Paul Song by Louis NCT. A lot of French artists, so hmm. that's pretty interesting. Uh, man, I would definitely like to see this magazine, or at least the work that comes out of this magazine, translated over here in English. But the future of Tesca manga being released in the West is up in the air for reasons we'll talk about a little bit later in the podcast. Oh yeah, that's a whole other can of worms. Yeah, but let's continue being excited about stuff because Hiro Mashima has teased new details about his next work. Isn't that exciting? Oh, hey, there you go. Yeah, he revealed this at uh, the Anglomane International Comic Festival that he's, you know, doing a new work. And uh, he he allowed to uh, reveal three new things about it. Uh, He said it'll be a new form of fantasy. Jokes will be quite a challenge and Blue will make an appearance. Now, there isn't a whole lot to read into there, but... Perhaps it'll be a more serious work than his previous series of jokes are going to be a challenge. It'll be a different kind of fantasy series than fairy tale was. And, uh, but apparently Pooh will still be in it. I guess he just really likes that character because <laughs> it was in Rave Master and it was in fairy tale. Now it's going to be in his third series. I mean, I've, you I know, I, I don't think it's that. I, 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 I'm not surprised that. You know, guy has a mascot character he wants to keep using. You know, hey, go for it. I mean, uh, Yasuhiro Nighttail does the same thing with uh, with that black cat from uh, from Trigun. That's in Blockade. Black, yeah, yeah pff, whatever. But that cat is a background character, and Clue, when he's used, is like you know a character that is that is used in the plot. Well, fair enough. But when um I, I get when I when I read that second point, uh, jokes will be quite a challenge. I. For some reason, I I don't know why this was the first thing that came to mind, but the first thing that came to mind was was just the premise of Haybot. Sid, have you watched Haybot? I've not watched Haybot, but I've heard of Haybot, and 
Uh, it seems like a very strange, weird series. It's it's weird. Don't watch it. <laughs> well, the things I've heard about it suggest that it is weird in a way that I would probably actually like. M- maybe so. maybe you would like it, but man, I watched two episodes of it, and it was it was honestly I can't believe I'm going to say this. It was too weird for me, hmm. way too weird for me, and I I and I could tolerate a lot of stuff, but man. It is so weird, um, but that that has nothing to do with what we're talking about here. Because because the whole thing about Haybot is that like they have like these like d- joke rap challenges. It's really weird. That sounds amazing. See, it, it sounds I, amazing. It sounds amazing, but it's not. I don't know. I didn't really think it was very funny, but that's just me. Um, but anyway, I'm sold. I'm gonna watch <laughs> Haybot now. Um, but no, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, there's really not a lot to go off of here, but. I don't know. I guess I'm I'm sort of disappointed that like he's doing another fantasy series. I kind of wish he would maybe tackle a different genre at the very least. But you know, I'm, I'm still I'm still willing to give his stuff a chance though, because you know, again, like with Naruto, I mean, in this case, I I dislike Fairy Tail a lot more. But you know, I know Mashima is capable of really good stuff. And I, I really, again, like, I've talked about it on the podcast before about how I, I really respect his work ethic. Like, the dude really puts in a lot of work. Um, mm-hmm. And, like, he's, a, like, I don't know how he does it. I really don't. Um, and so I, st- I still respect him on that level, again, to the point where I, I'd still like to give his stuff a chance. And, I mean, you know, like, it's, it's I'm, I'm just glad he's done with fairy tale. Like, I'm, I'm ready for something new. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it because I think he's a talented artist if an inconsistent and frustrating storyteller. (laughs) But whatever his next work will be, I'm sure it'll be quite interesting. But on the subject of weirdness or a series that can be pretty weird, let's talk about Mob Psycho 100 because that's getting a spinoff manga. Well, actually, that spinoff manga is already out. And it's about Reagan. I think it's just called Reagan. It came out on March 19th on the Manga One app. And uh, yeah, if you like Reagan, uh, this is a spinoff for you, I think. I heard that the recent OVA they put out uh, was basically a clip show of Mob Psycho 100, but they pasted Reagan's face uh, onto Mob or like <laughs> onto every character in the scene or something. Where, so like to make Reagan out to be the hero. <laughs> So that was pretty funny. Yeah, because like the whole thing is that Ray- Reagan gets because I I watched the OVA the other day. It's basically Reagan sees this thing on TV where like this obviously fake uh, psychic fortune teller puts out a book or whatever uh, about her, about her psychic powers or whatever, and he thinks, mm, "I can I I should write a book and that way I can start making money or whatever." It's it's just a huge like pyramid scheme, and he makes mob basically ghostwrite the entire thing and it, it gets to the point where like if mob shows it to his other friends and his friends are like okay none of that shit happened let's actually write this thing uh you know correctly and it just it's it was it was pretty cute i liked it i mean it was like i, I was a little disappointed it was it's basically an, an hour recap of the entirety of like season one but it's it still it still was you know it was cute and funny and i liked it it had some nice moments between mob and reagan and you know i'm kind of jumping the gun here but i am looking forward to season two so mm-hmm. i still need to watch uh mob psycho season one i only ever watched the first episode 
but I'm going to get around to it because it looks amazing. Uh, so I'll be watching it pretty soon. It's pretty good. I liked it. Like, I was kind of mixed on it at first, but I kept watching it week to week. And, you know, at some point I was like, you know what? I'm glad I stuck around with this because it, it gets it gets pretty good. And, and you could tell that, like, because I know one is a pretty huge fan of, like, Togashi and Hunter Hunter. And I feel like, uh, I mean, I guess it goes for One Punch Man, too. You, you can kind of tell how Togashi's works kind of influence one's works here and there. And I find that kind of interesting. Yeah, one is a pretty cool dude. And his stuff seems to be lovingly adapted into anime form. Very well deserved, too. Another mangaka that's a pretty cool dude that has a new manga coming out is Gengaro Tagame. He recently concluded My Brother's Husband and is going to be launching a new series or has launched a new series called Bokura no Shikisai, which is roughly translated uh, our, called Our Color in English. And that uh, debuted in the May issue of Monthly Action on March 24th. Uh, it, it's a pretty vague premise i think it's about a closeted gay man uh so but it seems to be another kind of more a series that is more intended towards the general audience uh of monthly action as opposed to uh his bara manga that he's well known for so it's another series in the vein of my brother's husband so since my brother's husband is so beloved and uh, you know well critically acclaimed i think that Hopefully we can see this series uh, be released over here once it gets connect collected into graphic novels. Yeah, I, I would definitely like to read the uh, I, I would like to read more uh, Tagame works uh, in the future because, man, I really do love my brother's husband so much. And on the subject of manga artists who draw LGBT stories, uh, Chiho Sato, best known for the revolutionary girl Utena manga, uh, is publishing her first boy's love book called Sekai no Ozoku, translated in English as Royalty of the World. Uh, it came out on February 9th. It has short stories and illustrations focused on historical royalty pairings in Japan and abroad. So it's kind of a very interesting kind of illustration book. That's uh, kind of interesting. So yeah, uh, I think that's pretty cool. Uh, I think she's also, I think she recently finished uh, a historical manga about uh, gender nonconforming siblings. So she's really interested in issues of gender identity and uh, exploring different sexualities. So, you know, that's, that's cool to see uh, a lot of that kind of stuff uh, from her. And hopefully we can get some of that in English sometime. But on the subject of the revolutionary girl Utena manga, there will be a new chapter of the manga that has come out recently, actually. It came out on March 28 in the May issue of Monthly Flowers. And this chapter is about... Actually, I don't know if we know what this chapter is about. Ah, I don't think we know what this one will be about, but it's just another new chapter of the Utena manga following up of the last two new chapters that they did, that they've been doing since like last year when Utena had its 20th anniversary. Uh, there was like an epilogue to the series they did. That was their first new chapter. And then after that, they did a story about Jury. And I'm not sure what this 
third new chapter is going to be about, but uh, it'll be cool to see. I, I, I hope that these new chapters get collected into a, a graphic novel and then Viz can release that over here. Yeah, I'm sure Utena fans would really appreciate that. <laughs> and then moving on to some more cool new series coming out. Uh, well, actually, let's go back to One and One Punch Man and say into the artist of the One Punch Man manga. Because Yusuke Murata, the artist of One Punch Man manga, he is going to be doing a very interesting new manga. He's going to be doing an adaptation of a Hollywood film, a very beloved classic sci-fi film a little something you might know as uh, back to the future you might have heard of it he is going to be doing a manga based on back to the future uh it's going to be supervised by the screenwriter of the film bob gale it's going to include story content not seen in the film and yeah it's going to begin serializing on the kanoi manga goi website at a later date but the first compiled volume is going to come out on april 20th and it seems based on his preview image that he won't just be adapting the first movie but he might adapt all three in the trilogy since he includes characters from other films in like his preview image he did oh man i'm so glad something came out of this because um yeah that um that one image that uh, that's been going around that uh, I used Kamarada put up on his Twitter that uh, I'm pretty sure that image he he drew for like, um, what was it? Because I guess they released um, they released some Back to the Future comics over uh, over in Japan. And I guess uh, I guess that art uh, he drew for Back to the Future with Marty and uh, the rest of the characters from the other movies and stuff. I think he I think he drew his like promo art for that release of the original like Back to the Future comics over there. Um, and you know when I saw that I was like, man, Yusuke Kamurata can just make anything look good. Like mm-hmm. I don't I don't know what kind of deal with the devil he's had to make, but I'm glad he made it because man, he is an amazing <laughs> artist and he really can't do no wrong. So I'm really Oh yeah. I man it, it's it's just one of those things where I was like, man, it'd be really cool if like something came out of this and not just a promo image and I guess my wish came true because, yeah, I'm. I really just like the idea of of a Back to the Future manga revival drawn entirely by Yusuke Murata. That's something I'm gonna buy day one if that ever gets a, an English release over here, which I'm assuming it would or it should at least. I mean, I mean hopefully there could be like licensing uh, issues there, probably or like some some copyright things there maybe but i guess we'll have to see but that's something to look forward to yusuke murata is a author i really really love and i also really like yuki kodama who is also going to be doing a new manga that has actually already debuted on uh the monthly flowers april edition on uh, march 28 and her new manga is called the blue flower and container forest uh, Yuki Kodama is the mangaka of Kids on the Slope, which is a series I really enjoyed, had a great anime adaptation, so uh, I'm very interested in her new work as well. Really cool stuff. Uh, and also something cool from a uh, mangaka that uh, is very interesting is uh, the Detroit Middle City's uh, mangaka Kiminori Wakasugi is launching a new manga this April, and 
at the time of that announcement, he was looking for new assistants for serialization, so hopefully he's uh, found them. But yeah, the Detroit Middle City is a very, very weird but uh, fun series. So. Oh yeah, see, now, now you're speaking my language. I love Detroit Middle City. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another music series. That's how I should have transitioned. <laughs> but yeah, uh, it'll be curious to see what his new work will be. We didn't get his... Uh, series after Detroit Middle City in English, like all Esper Dio, we didn't get that. But maybe we'll get this one. Uh, who knows? Maybe. Uh, he has another manga currently running called Rhyming Man that we also haven't gotten yet, but we'll see. Yeah, hopefully. I, I like Detroit Middle City uh, Middle City enough to where I, I would check out his other works. I need to actually like read all the manga, because I, I still haven't gotten past where the anime stopped. And I need to, I, I need to actually get all of that. But now we're going to be transitioning from new manga to new light novels. And how we're going to be transitioning to that is talking about new manga based on light novels. And one of those is a new Ninja Slayer manga that's going to be coming out on April 19th called Ninja Slayer Kyoto Hell on Earth. You may uh, remember Ninja Slayer as a series that was adapted by Trigger a couple of years ago. It was a very strange adaptation, but there's been several uh, related manga to that series that has come out over here. I don't know if we ever got like the uh, original novels, but yeah, uh, this new series is going to be drawn by the same uh, artist behind the uh, Ninja Slayer manga. Uh, Yoshiki uh, Tabata and Yuki Yogo. It'll be serialized uh, in the June issue of Champion Red on April 19th. So uh, since we've got another Ninja Slayer manga over here in English, hopefully we might get this one. And uh, Sword Art Online Progressive is kind of going to have a little bit of a retooling, it seems, because it's going to be starting a part two of its manga adaptation uh, in the April issue of Digi G's comic. And basically what this retooling means is it's going to get a, like a new name, Sword Art Online Progressive Hoe no Barakol, and uh, it'll be drawn by new artist Shiomi Miyoshi, who will replace uh, Kiseki Himura, the previous artist. So... I don't know if this will affect the release of these uh, this manga in North America because I think it's like basically the same series, but it's just going to go under a slightly different name now. I don't know if they'd have to like license this as an entirely new series, but mm, yeah, that is that's, that's an interesting roadblock there. But I'm sure, considering Sword Online is so popular, we will get this at any rate. Probably. Something I'm not sure that we'll be getting, but something I really hope we do because this light novel is popular if a little niche in the North American scene is two new manga based on Boogie Pop. This is a seminal light novel series. This is considered perhaps the progenitor of the modern age of light novels, the series that kind of redefined how the light novel industry has become. And it is getting two new manga series, one drawn by Naoki Kishimizu called Boogie Pop Returns vs. Imaginator in monthly comic Dengeki Dayo, and another series drawn by Yoshihiro Kawabata 
called Boogie Pop at Dawn, which will be serialized in Geki Cheese comic starting from April 28. I really like Boogie Pop, and there's some more exciting stuff related to this news in regards to Boogie Pop that we'll be talking about a little later. So uh, hopefully we can see a Boogie Pop resurgence and get some of the Boogie Pop manga over here. But uh, this and this also goes for another light novel series that I really love that is getting a new novel for the first time in 18 years. Slayers is getting a new book. That's right. The classic series Slayers is going to finally get a new book in the series for the first time in 18 years since the 15th volume. I don't know if it's going to come out in a serialized form, but it was previewed in the March issue of Dragon Age. But, you know, a new Slayers book is coming, and hopefully, you know, with a new Slayers book coming, maybe we might get a new Slayers anime, or we might have someone license rescue those novels and finally release the rest of the original run of those novels over here because tokyo pop back in the day only published the first eight and of the 15 so uh here's open i just new slayers news makes me excited because slayers is one of my favorite series so i uh i'm very excited to see what this new novel will be about and another series that is also getting a new novel coming out soon is Sound Dephonium. That will get a new novel that's going to be out on April 5th called uh, Sound Dephonium True Stories, which will be a short story collection, which will follow uh, f- the former seniors after graduation, including characters like Asuka, Kari, Haruka, and Aoi. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of different kind of short stories in there about the characters. So if you're a Sonophonian fan, that sounds pretty cool. And I'm sure this will get licensed because uh, I believe the other Sonophonian license, uh, novels have gotten licensed over here. So all this cool new light novel news is really exciting. But now we're going to have to wind down with a little bit of an unfortunate news update. And that is the writer of Watamode has broken their left arm in a bicycle accident recently. Uh-oh. And it doesn't seem that it's it was too painful as previous injuries he's had. Uh, it seems that he had to go to the hospital on Friday and might need a surgery. There's been no update on how his situation has been since this news came out last month. Uh, no update on whether the manga will be on an extended hiatus because of the injury but here's hoping that the uh, writer of Watamode can recover and be in good health pretty soon and the manga will return shortly after but to end on a more positive uplifting note Yotsuba is gonna get its first new volume in 29 months over two years the new volume of Yotsuba is finally going to come out. The 14th volume is kind of come out on April 28th. And yeah, Yotsuba is a series that always fills you with joy when you read it. It is just so charming and uh, delightful. I thought that was a good piece to end out on. That we're going to get the next Yotsuba book pretty soon in Japanese. And I'm sure it'll come out over here in English uh, within a year. 
All right, so we are done with license. I mean, we're done with serializations news, and now I wish we were done with licensing news. No, we have quite a bit of licensing news to get to. Uh, we need to get started on those. Oh man! And why don't we get started by talking about some updates to Crunchyroll's manga catalog because they have made some major changes to it recently. They have removed catalog chapters of several Kodansha comics titles. These are no longer able to read on Crunchyroll's digital service. And that is quite a shame. But let's just run down some of these changes. And so the titles that were removed from Crunchyroll last month include A Silent Voice, Inuyashiki, Mysterious Girlfriend X, Princess Jellyfish, Yamadaka and the Seven Witches, among a ton of others, but a lot of completed series from the Crunchyroll manga catalog were removed. And in addition to that, Crunchyroll also announced that it is no longer offering catalog chapters for most ongoing Kodansha Comics titles. And that means none of the uh, backlog chapters of series including Ajin, Attack on Titan, Fuka, Space Brothers, and Seven Deadly Sins, and Yuku Holder, the backlog chapters of that those series will no longer be available. Uh, they will only have a limited amount of backlog chapters available. Basically, all the chapters that are not currently available in graphic novel form, which is kind of how Wiz Media runs their free section uh, for the series they publish on the free section. Like, all the chapters available on there are chapters not already available in graphic novels. So, it's not a completely unfair policy. It, it makes sense to me. Fairy Tale is an exception to this new policy. There are actually 30 volumes of Fairy Tale you can read. So that was the only completed series that they didn't really remove. And you can read quite a bit of on Crunchyroll still. Yeah, that's about like half of the series, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Uh, and to clarify the chapters of the, you know, currently still serializing on Crunchyroll Kondansha series that are still available... Uh, so Ajin still has chapters for uh, 44 and up available. A Heroic Legend of Arslan uh, still has chapters 47 and up available. Attack on Titan has 95 and up available. Uh, Fuka is available from 146 and onwards, which is quite a bit backwards because uh, that's about a year of worth, years worth of Fuka, the, uh, the last year's worth of Fuka that's still available. So that, that's probably the most catalog content of, out of all these series that's still being serialized. Well, Seven Deadly Sins is actually pretty similar. It's, it's also basically the last year's worth of the series because it's available from chapter 189 and up. And uh, GTO Paradise Lost is still available from 44 and up. Space Brothers is still available from 296 and up. Sweetness and Lightning from 45 and up, and Yuki Older from 129 and up. So there's still quite a bit of those series available. Uh, if you read the graphic novels and then switch into the digital, I think uh, you'll still be good in terms of being able to keep up with the series. It's just a shame to lose the entire catalog from Crunchyroll, because that was one of its big appeals. But they are making up for it by replacing a lot of the series they've taken away with ex new series that they are going to begin simultaneously publishing on Crunchyroll. And these include 
incredibly notable and popular series like To Your Eternity from Yoshitoki Oima of Silent Boys fame. Yes. That includes uh, Posmis from uh, Satomo Nihei of Knights of Sidonia and Blame fame. And includes series like Farewell, My Dear Kramer, Our Precious Conversations, Topu GP, Wave, Listen to Me, of uh, Blade uh, of the Immortal fame, uh, Hiroki Samura, uh, Drifting Dragons and Grand Blue Dreaming. Like, all of these series will be serializing on Crunchyroll. They've started serializing on Crunchyroll since the beginning of this month, and I'm pretty excited about them, because uh, I read a lot of these series, and, you know trying to buy new chapters of them on comiXology it's like a dollar per chapter so i have a country roll subscription so now i don't have to pay uh a dollar per chapter for the new two year eternity chapters i can just read the new chapters on country roll yeah i'm i'm probably gonna start catching back up on two year eternity because that was that was part of the reason why i kind of stopped reading it was because i didn't really want to I It just didn't really make sense to me to pay a dollar or whatever per chapter when I could just get the digital volumes at a later date. But mm-hmm. yeah, now that I'm up on Crunchyroll, I, I do want to catch back up to 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 your eternity at some point. Um, I'm really sad that Princess Jellyfish isn't on Crunchyroll anymore because I was actually looking forward to reading that this year. So that means I'm going to have to buy him, which... That kind of sucks, but I still plan on hopefully reading Princess Jellyfish sometime in the in the next couple of months here. Well, it won't suck, because Princess Jellyfish is a manga worthy of buying and having on your shelf, because it is a modern classic, in my opinion. I mean, this is, this is true. But those are some uh, interesting updates to uh, Crunchyroll's manga catalog. Outside of these Kodansha comics titles, they are also publishing Dragon Zakura 2 digitally. Uh, they added this recently. It's like a sequel, I think, to a previous series, Dragon Zakura. Uh, it's from the creator of Investor Z. Yeah, I, I, I need. I want to. I want to read those at some point. Um, which I, I guess we'll probably mention Investor Z a little later with another news story, but that's neither here nor there. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad that Crunchyroll has reinvigorated their manga catalog because it seemed for a while that they were not abandoning it they hadn't made an update to it in a while and with so many series that they had been running at it ending and with not a whole lot to replace it it seems like the content was running dry but i'm glad they've read some life into it and i'm really excited that i can follow a lot of these series that i was already reading uh through like individual chapter subscriptions or following along in their graphic novel releases now i can read their new chapters on crunchyroll so that's pretty good my only complaint is I wish they would maybe look into their Crunchyroll manga app because the last time I tried to use it, it kept crashing on me and it was really annoying because I wanted to read the newest chapter of Ajin and it crashed on me like five times before I could even get it to work. So I, I really wish they would kind of work on their on their uh, on their app. But other than that, yeah, I'm 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 glad it seems like they're actually paying attention to that part of their service because it really it really did seem like for a while they just weren't really doing much with it and i was kind of wondering if it was like what what the, what the point of it was even honestly yeah i mean i've never had problems with the crunchyroll manga app uh, at least not as as a severe problem as you seem to have had but well i was gonna say because i'm i know i'm not the only person to have complaints about the app because i i know other people who have had problems with the app before so it's 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 not a contained thing. I know that for sure. 
they definitely should retool it to have some uh, a better interface. I definitely think it could be improved for sure. Yeah. But moving on, uh, let's talk about a Viz Media License or get into the, some Viz Media Licenses because they are going to be releasing some new stuff this year. And one of those new things that will be coming out is the Ruby Manga Anthology. This will be like an ongoing anthology. And the first one, Red Like Roses, is going to come out in summer 2018 and it'll be mainly focused on Ruby Rose. And basically the plan for this anthology series is that it'll be four volumes and each volume will be focused on one of the main characters. So like the first one is going to be a Ruby. It seems like the second one will probably be focused on Weiss. And the second one is also going to be slated for later this year. And then the remaining two will probably come out next year. So each volume is also going to include messages from the voice actors and notes from the character designer of Ruby, Ayn Lee, and the other anthology illustrators. And the covers will be drawn by Lee. So uh, if you're a Ruby fan, this is, should be pretty cool. Uh, I think these, these came out in Japan last year, so it's nice to see them come over here. And hopefully they'll be more interesting than uh, the Ruby uh, manga that Shiro Miwa drew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, the, the, the more I hear about that, um, that last Ruby manga, the less I want to read it, honestly. <laughs> you didn't read it at all? Oh, not at all, no. I mean, it was in Jump, like, but again and again, I guess you do skip over some series in Jump. I was going to say, I don't read everything in Jump, Sid. I do. I read a cover to cover. Or, yeah, first page to, as, as much as covers there are in digital manga. <laughs> well, I don't know. Like, after, like, I remember you, uh, hearing you talk about it on the show here, and it just, it, I don't know, like, you didn't exactly give it a very glowing review. Uh, yeah, you wouldn't have gotten <laughs> anything out of it. I'm just... No, so, exactly. I can't fault you for not reading it, but yeah. Ex- except you were, but that's fine. I understand. Uh, no, it was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> huh. But yeah, I'm I'm hoping I don't know. I think this anthology series so far seems I think there's potential for it to be more interesting because I mean it's an anthology, so it'll just it'll it'll be a couple of short stories, which I I think is I think it's the way to go with the franchise, honestly. Uh, at least I think it's a cool approach to take, and I think that with an anthology series, you can have short stories done by different authors. You can contribute a unique take on the material. And with how cool the Attack on Titan anthology turned out, I think the Ruby anthology might also turn out to be pretty cool. And as a Ruby fan, I'm definitely interested in checking it out. But Wiz is also going to be putting out some other cool stuff in graphic novel form this fall. And one of those things is Dr. Stone. Yay. Those of us who have read Shonen Jump have been following the series for over a year already, but... Finally, readers who aren't subscribed to Jump can start reading it starting this September. Oh, yeah. You, you, could, you could bet we're going to have an episode on Dr. Stone around that time. Oh, yeah. We plan on it. And I'm excited to see people outside the Shonen Jump sphere get into Dr. Stone and discover it. That's another series that I think is going to get pretty big once it gets out into the larger reaches of the fandom. And hopefully we'll eventually have a good anime. Yeah, I mean, we can always hope for that. But another cool thing that Viz is going to be putting out this fall is the complete 
Art of Full Metal Alchemist, a deluxe hardcover art book that's going to feature art from the manga, including pieces never shared with North American audiences before. So, a pretty straightforward thing there, but for FMA fans, that's just another cool thing to collect. And, uh, yeah, I can look forward to that. Yeah, this along with, like, the new um, hardcover editions that are going to be coming out here, I, I think this year... If I remember correctly, are uh, those are uh, I? I mean, uh, it looks like Full Metal Alchemist fans will be uh, looking forward to some cool stuff. Uh, ho- hopefully, hopefully, get the taste of that uh, live action movie out of their mouths. Yeah, I still need to see that. Uh, even though I know it's no, not no, great. you don't, Sid. You don't need uh, to see it. <laughs> I can see it. Like if I can make a podcast out of it with WeWork, like it, it might be worth seeing. I mean, if you want to punish yourself, sure. It's not It's not even, like, the good kind of bad. It's just boring. Yeah, that's what I've heard, that it's just boring. I didn't even finish it. You would consider it worse than live-action Death Note, because if nothing yeah. else, live-action Death Note wasn't boring. Well, see, here's the thing. The live-action Death Note movie actually tried something new. Yeah. It actually tried... It, it had a different take on the story. The Full Metal Alchemist movie is basically, like... It's like it's like a best of compilation of scenes you remember from the show. Yeah, it's just going through the motions. Yeah, there, there's none none of the emotional impact is behind there. I I think they tried to set up like a like a a movie villain or whatever, but like I think it tried to kind of set up its own thing, but like it's it's mostly concerned with just trying to recreate moments from the show. Like it's I don't know, I didn't like it, and I was really optimistic for that movie too. <laughs> so. Mm. Yeah, it's quite unfortunate, but, well, I understand now why they canceled uh, the theatrical screenings they were going to do for it in North America. Because I heard it did not do well in Japan either, so. Mm, yeah, that that makes sense. Unfortunate. This is another like, case, I guess, in the same vein as that uh, JoJo film from last year. But let's move on now to some J-Novel Club licenses. And there are quite a few new novels that J-Novel Club has licensed that are going to be putting out. The first of which include New Life Plus Young Again in Another World, which follows a guy who is reincarnated in another world. Wow, such an original premise. Wow, I've never seen that done before. Oh, it's an easy guy story. I don't want to be dismissive, but... Sure. Uh, then we have The Master of Ragnarok and Blesser of Einherjar. That's going to be coming out uh, from author Seichi Takayama illustrator uh, Yuki-san. Uh, the first four parts of it are available to read for J-Novel Club members right now. Uh, the story is about a guy who gets more than he bargained for when he joins his childhood friend and testing an urban legend, and gets uh, whisked off to another world. So, another easy guy story. <laughs> uh, and then the final novel from J Novel Club that they are coming out, or like the final two, is they have licensed uh, Infinite Stratos, the unwanted undead adventurer light novel. Well, those are two different light novels. Uh, Izuru, Yumizuru is Infinite Stratos, and Yu Okano's the unwanted undead adventurer. So both of those series have some pre- free previews. Uh, the paid service for Jane Apple Club is offering the first half of both of them. And the full ebooks are going to launch in late April. I've heard the name Infinite Stratos a lot before. I think it's kind of like uh, Strike Witches, a series like that where it's like uh, it's a female-focused military unit thing. 
I remember catching a bit of the Infinite Stratos anime at one point and thought it was kind of interesting, but I wasn't very compelled to watch anymore, unfortunately. I don't really like the premise based on the wording. Uh, the main character sets out to prove that men still have a place in this woman-dominated world. And, oh, little did he know, he's just a the thing these women have been looking for. Ah, uh, great, yeah. Male wish fulfillment, uh, MRA-style thing, uh, no. Yeah, that doesn't... That doesn't sound very appealing. appealing. To me, no. Uh, probably won't look into that one. Uh, Unwanted Undead Adventurer is about a 25-year-old adventurer who fights monsters, and he uh, comes across an undiscovered path in a labyrinth. Uh, he doesn't discover a treasure, though. He finds a dragon that swallows him whole, but it, uh, he doesn't die. He just comes back as a pile of bones, and then he goes on a new quest as a newly reborn skeleton to achieve existential evolution, hoping to one day to return to civilization as a human. I like the term existential evolution. That's that that term is cool. Uh, like the premise seems OK enough. I guess it's I don't know what it's similar towards. I guess uh, he, he's he wants just to become human again because he got turned into a monster. I, and so it's the devil is going to be in the details with that one. But this it definitely sounds a lot better than uh, Infinite Stratos. Honestly, yeah, that comparatively, that premise does sound a lot more interesting. Yeah. Oh, and uh, then the next thing that Jane Noble Code licensed, and this is the final thing uh, to talk about here, is me a genius? I was born into another world and I think they've got the wrong idea. I like that title just because of how ridiculous it is. Uh, this is from uh, the author Nguyen and the illustrator Sakana. The first four parts of the first volume are available for members of J Novel Culture Read Now. Non-members can read the first part for free. The first book will be released in full in April. It's about a guy who is reborn uh, in an alternate version of Japan. It's a little boring at first because there's like no fantasy elements. But then uh, his childhood sketches inspire his mother to develop a new revolutionary world theory that sets into motion a series of misunderstandings that has everyone believing that Koki is the real genius behind a bunch of cool technology that his mother is coming up with. And then Koki has to give up his school life to attend a science academy where he meets a beautiful Canadian girl. An, an engineer and an expert on space exploration so he gets surrounded by real geniuses even though he's not a genius himself and he uses his knowledge from his past life and by doing that it creates new misunderstandings and makes him appear to be a genius even though he's not and uh it just gets crazier and crazier so it seems like a pretty out there crazy comedy that could be fun to read uh, it kind of reminds me, you know, it's kind of like this uh, liar type kind of story, you know, you, the yeah. the imposter uh, the imposter kind of story, uh, you know, where someone is mistaken to be this super awesome cool guy, but really they're not that all that great. Uh, it's kind of like M Zero. Uh, that it's like a Shonen Jump series uh, from like a, a decade ago. That is kind of a, kind of has a cult following. The premise kind of reminds me of that a little bit. I I was I was gonna I don't know why the first thing I thought was uh the first thing that came to my mind was chicken run. 
It's, it's, it's kind of uh, like yeah, I mean, it's it's, 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 it's kind of like it's, Chicken Run. It's a pretty archetypical <laughs> kind of story, you know, pretty basic outline. Again, this this one will probably uh, live and die by like the details, like how funny it is. But uh, yeah, mm, yeah, probably sounds like a an enjoyable little romp. But uh, then we get some novels being released by Yen Press, uh, a novel from a uh, Cold Fireworks. Uh, by Shunji Iwai and Hitoshi One. This was adapted into a film last year, which was uh, received to mixed effect. I think this the novel was more of a tie-in to the film than its inspiration. But yeah, so they've licensed the novel for fireworks. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that does. Yen Press will also be releasing... Uh, pretty well-known horror manga at least like i've heard of it before called ibitsu by haruto ryo that'll be coming out on july 24th it's about a an urban legend about a young girl who is dressed in gothic lolita clothing and uh, if you are by garbage dumps and ask her a question uh She'll ask you a question, and those who answer without fail will die a twisted death. And so, you know, it's it's about, like, uh, I guess a kid who discovers this girl and uh, that mystery behind her. Now, moving on to some Kadansha licenses, uh, we have Starving Anonymous from Yu Koraishi, based on a premise from Kengo Mizutani and drawn by Kazu Inabe. Uh, this is a manga that's been running in E-Young magazine. And Starving Anonymous is about high school students who are just, you know, on a bus one day and then it floods with gas and then they pass out and then they find themselves on a truck full of human bodies by a bunch of corpses and human beings are sawing them into pieces, and it seems like a pretty disturbing series. Yeah, that sounds that sounds really weird and interesting. I could get into it. Yeah, it sounds like a plot to a horror film. Uh, it makes sense. It's a horror series. Uh, and then we got We Aruga's Perfect World, which is already out, and this is about a twenty-six-year-old woman who reunites with her first crush from high school. And they meet during like a work get together, but now he she realizes that uh, now he's disabled. And uh, at first she feels she couldn't date in a guy in a wheelchair, but then her feelings begin to change. Uh, don't know how to go on the premise based on that one phrase that at first she feels she couldn't date a guy in a wheelchair, but. Uh, maybe it'll be a good story, a good representation of love between a you know a disabled person. But uh, I, I but I guess I'd have to check that out to like confirm like it's it's done tastefully, and not uh doesn't fall into stereotypes. Yeah, I really hope it doesn't end up like being too mean spirited. And the last of these new Kodansha digital licenses is Renjiro Kindaichi's Liar Liar, which came out on March 27th. And this series is about after this girl borrowed her friend's high school uniform and took a walk around town on a whim, she ran into her younger stepbrother and her stepbrother believed she was someone else. 
in this different uniform and fell in love with her high school disguise. And so a weird love story uh, begins. So I guess this is like a step-sibling incest manga, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe they only became step-siblings as, as uh, high schoolers. I don't know. Yeah, that sounds sounds kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, not into those kind of manga, but Skidantra is still committed to uh, releasing a variety of different titles uh, on their digital platform, so I'm still very thankful for that. Yeah, I think out of the three, I'm I'm the most interested in Starving Anonymous. Yeah, but actually, I might be a little interested in the next series that Kadansha has recently licensed, and that is Otakoi, Otaku Can't Fall in Love, which they will release the first volume of on April 17th, with the second volume coming out on June 12th and the third volume on October 2nd. So this is getting an anime in the next season, too. But basically, it's an awkward romantic comedy between two otaku who kind of end up getting into a relationship. It's kind of like the winter 2017 season's uh, MMO Junkie. It, it, the premise reminds me of MMO Junkie. So it'll be interesting to see how this one turns out. Yeah, I, I'd like to see what, um, I guess, what the reaction is to this series before I check it out. See if people seem to fall in love with this series as hard as they did MMO Junkie. Yeah, it could catch on like that series if it's uh, done very well. Yeah, hopefully. But moving on, let's talk about a new novel that Cross Infinite World has licensed. It is going to release Fumi Yamamoto's Mia and the Forbidden Medicine Report on April 30th as a single volume release. Uh, the novel has illustrations by the mangaka Nitaka, who also does the illustrations for the Tokun Ranbu novels. And this novel is about a girl where, who is born in a prosperous country where the greatest fear there is illness. So she goes to a prestigious royal academy as a pharmacology student to find a cure for her mother's disease. Uh, and then... It's basically about two different diseases that they're trying to find cures to, and she ends up allying with other students to figure out a cure to the disease. So it sounds like a fun premise. It seems to be a single volume work, so it might be worth checking out. Now we'll move on to some Seven Seas licenses. Oh, boy. The tidal wave just keeps crashing down on us. Oh, Seven Seas. Just when you think the tide has receded, it comes back stronger than ever. But hopefully this time we won't drown in it. Hopefully not. <laughs> the first new series Seven Seas has licensed that we'll talk about is Tomo-chan is a girl, which they announced on their interview with uh, ANN cast uh, a couple weeks ago at this point. But yeah, uh, Tomo Chan as a girl is basically about this tomboy who tries to con confess to her childhood friend, but it doesn't work out because her childhood friend thought he was a guy <laughs> until junior high. And even now just treats her like one of the bros. 
So it's all about trying to make this guy look at her, you know, as a uh, girlfriend instead of like uh, treating her as a bro. So uh, that that sounds cute and fun. I uh, heard a lot of good things about this one from Weekly Manga Recaps review of it and made it sound very interesting. So I'm definitely uh, interested in checking it out. And the first volume, again, will be uh, released on September 11th. Yeah, I wouldn't mind checking that out. It actually does sound actually does sound pretty adorable. Mm-hmm. Also sounds adorable is now loading a Yuri manga that is a single volume that will come out on January 29th next year. And it's basically about two women who are working in the video game industry and just end up falling in love through working alongside each other so it sounds pretty cute there's gonna be a bit of a wait for this one because again it's gonna come out next year but uh always interested in more yuri titles now on the complete opposite end of the spectrum from cute we have oops i messed up and made the wrong person into a magical girl (laughs) (laughs) a series by soryu the first volume is going to come out on october 9th and the premise is while searching for a candidate to become a magical girl and defend the world from evil, a mythical creature finds a cute young lady who seems like the perfect fit, but it turns out this girl is actually a crude delinquent who goes berserk in a conflict, and so she might be more evil than the things she's fighting against. So, uh, And the cover simply looks... It certainly looks like this girl is deranged, so I'm definitely interested in this one. It seems like a a fun twist on Magical Girl series. I am all about delinquent Magical Girls. I'm sold. Yeah, not enough of those. Moving on, Seven Seas is going to publish their second BL manga in... Suinde's Total Eclipse of the Eternal Heart, which will be released in print and digital platforms in a single volume edition on March 19th, 2019. It's about a high schooler who has been haunted by recurring dreams of a young man who died essentially earlier by his sensei and... Whatever this vision is, a dream or curse, is going to merge with reality when Terumichi meets a attractive classmate. So, a mystery suspense kind of series. I'm surprised this is only their second BL title. Yeah, their first BL title is Go For It Nakamura, which they will release this July. Oh, yeah. See, I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in that one. That I really... I write, I really like the aesthetic they're going for that one, and I I might I, I I wouldn't mind checking this out either if it has sort of like a like a mystery sort of twist to it here. the 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 cover alone actually looks really interesting. Yeah, I'm quite interested in Nakamura because of that classic '80s gag comedy aesthetic it has going on, but this one also looks pretty cool as a kind of horror series. So uh, interested in seeing how that one turns out. Mm-hmm. The next series we'll talk about is The Ideal Sponger Life, which Seven Seas will release in print and digital platforms in a single volume edition. And the first 
edition of that will come out on March 12th, 2019. It's about a salaryman who is pulled from Earth to another world where magic thrives and he there's a gorgeous, powerful queen who needs a consort and then he is pressured to marry her and bear a child. But uh, can he accept this lazy, luxurious love at the cost of leaving his home behind? So this is like another Easy Guy series. This seems like it could be kind of funny. Maybe. Perhaps. I, I do like the artwork, so it could be interesting. Maybe. Perhaps. I might be a little too burned out on Easy Guy or a little cynical of them. Just, just there's so many similar premises in that genre. Uh, yeah, I know. It's It's... I, I don't want to be dismissive either, but it's like, you can't really help but get tired of the same thing over and over again, with, 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 just, with just a slight twist. Yeah. Seven Seas will also be releasing I Want to Eat Your Pancreas, both the novel and manga by Yoru Sumino, and uh, the manga adaptation is by Idumi Kirihara. They will release the novel on November 20, 2018, and the first one of the manga in digital and print on January 22nd, 2019. The story is about a unnamed protagonist who happens to find a diary in a hospital one day that belonged to his classmate who is suffering from a terminal illness in her pancreas and only has a few months left to live. And so he's the only one who knows about her condition. And so they, de- you know, he decides to keep Sakura's secret and spend time with her during their last few months. So uh, I've heard this is a very like serious drama uh, that tugs at the heartstrings. There is an anime film uh, that's going to open on September 1st, and that's getting a lot of early buzz. So curious to see how this will turn out. Uh, the premise reminds me a little bit of uh, Naoshi Komi's One Shot Tokidoki. In a similar, girl has a ticking clock on her life because of illness. And so she meets this guy who kind of spends time with her and uh, helps her enjoy the most out of her life during the time she has left. Mm, Well, I'll tell you one thing. That title really has me hooked. (laughs) Yeah, it's certainly an interesting title. Uh, Might be a little misleading uh, in terms of, oh, uh, is this like a goofy series? But like... I think it speaks to the drama. Like, I think the protagonist is saying, oh, I want to eat your pancreas so you don't die of this disease. I was literally trying to tell my friend about this uh, about this series last night. I, I accidentally started off with the title. I was like, hey, have you ever heard of this thing called I Want to Eat Your Pancreas? And she just stopped me right there. She didn't want to hear the rest. <laughs> <laughs> Which I guess I, I, I kind of don't blame her, but like... Yeah, I don't know. I'm 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 really interested to see how this turns out. I wouldn't I wouldn't mind going out to see the uh to see the film maybe if it's in my area. Yeah. I mean, if it gets a lot of good buzz, hopefully we'll see it released over here. And the next series we'll talk about is Beauty and the Beast Girl, a Yuri manga that is a one-shot, one-volume series. That will be released on January 29, 2019 in a large trim print release. And this is about a troubled monster who wishes she could live amongst humans despite her frightening appearance. And she's visited by a blind human girl who's fascinated by her and they begin a romance. So that sounds very cute. 
Now, the next one that Seven Seas has licensed is one that I am quite excited for because they have licensed Yupe Chica's Satoko and Nada, which is about a Japanese woman who has a new American roommate uh, who's a Saudi Arabian named uh, Nada who practices Islam and wears hijab. And so living under the same roof, uh, Satoko and Nada kind of learn how to live together with different customs and just have a lot of fun. And the manga just follows their daily life. So uh, you don't see a whole lot of good uh, representation of Muslim people um, in manga. Uh, So it's really cool to see a manga about that. And uh, I heard a lot of good things from it from uh, Manga Machinations review of the series. uh, And they made a very good video on their YouTube channel about it. And yeah, this is one I'm really excited about because of its subject matter. Yeah, I could I could see this becoming a very uh, a very well received title. I could see a lot of people really getting into this one. I'm personally really excited too. I think I definitely like to pick this up day one because I'm I'm really interested in reading this. I think it could be very cute. So I'm really looking forward to Satoko and Nada. But one thing that I'm extremely excited about perhaps above all else that Seven Seas has licensed, is that they are not only going to be reprinting the Boogie Pop light novels that they previously released, but they will also be releasing additional volumes. They will be releasing the fourth and fifth novels for the first time in English in a special omnibus edition, the first of which is going to be slated for October 1st and contain the first three volumes, and then the second one will contain four to six. And this is exciting because uh, as we'll have some more Boogie Pop-related uh, stuff to talk about later in the show as well, but Seven Seas only previously translated the first three novels and the sixth novel. So finally, Volumes 4 and 5 are going to be in English. And hopefully, if this Omnibus release does well, we might get additional future volumes too. So I'm really excited about this. I'm excited about Boogie Pops Resurgence. Uh, This is going to be really cool to finally be able to read these. And to wrap up our Seven Seas coverage, I just wanted to give an update on the release of Devil Man the Classic Edition. Originally, this was supposed to come out on March 6th, but it has been delayed to May 8th in order to improve the quality of the release, or to make it as high quality as possible. So I just wanted to give an update for those of you wondering, hey, when is the classic Devilman manga supposed to come out? It'll be out on May 8th, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to reading the original Devil Man and uh, maybe doing an episode about it, about it still. Yeah, you still have plans for it, for plans for both a discussion and a manga fight. So here's hoping we can get that scheduled. But now let's move on to some Dark Horse licenses, or uh, one license we have from Dark Horse, and that is Gantz G, which the first volume will come out on June 13th. It is a sequel to Gantz that was serialized in Miracle Jump and then later Jump Plus. And it's only a three-volume series, but it's basically more Gantz, essentially. (laughs) I mean, yeah, what can you say about it? It's more Gantz. Yeah, 
So if you like Gantz, this might be worth picking up. But now we're going to be moving on to some unsavory licensors. The previous guys we've been talking about are all pretty cool, but now we're going to be talking about a licensor that is not very cool. A very notorious publisher is getting back into the manga game, and that publisher is, unfortunately, but of course, Tokyo Pop. Oh, Tokyo Pop. They are, are resuming manga licensing with Konohina Kitan by Sakuya Amano, which will be released on June 19th. Uh, they will also be releasing Hanger, which is going to come out on July 18th. And they'll be releasing Furutari Beya, which will come out on September 4th. So... Konakitan was adapted as an anime in, in the fall 2017 anime season. And it's basically about a bunch of fox girls working at this hot spring and just some charming magical happenings that occur there. And it's a very cute series that's very good. But Konakitan is actually a sequel to a previous manga by that mangaka called Konohana Tekitan. So they licensed the sequel, but not the original series. Sounds like something Tokyo Pop would do. Yeah. Hanger by Hirotaka Kisaragi is a boys' love series. So it's about crime in Neo-Tokyo and a guy on the federal tax force who goes after superpower criminals and teaming up with a a prisoner, like a guy who has been uh, indicted for crimes, uh, who is called a hanger uh, to help take down the chemically boosted bad guys. Uh, so the premise is basically kind of like psychopaths or a little bit like Murcielago too. Uh, in terms of, oh, we're going to hire criminals to take down the other criminals. Yeah, except it's boys' love. Yeah, which could make it very interesting. Certainly an interesting dynamic for a relationship, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, we have a Yuri manga in Yukiko's Futari Beya, which is about a girl who meets a roommate when she goes to high school and everything changes because uh, they become friends and eventually into a relationship. So one thing I guess I'll give them credit for is that they are branching out into different genres at least, but Tokyo Pop is not to be trusted from experience. They are a shady company and Stu Levy's still in charge, so... Uh, it's very hard to trust they have changed their ways. I'd be very interested if the quality of the releases change at all compared to like, what was it, 10 years ago? Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe, maybe longer than that. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I can't say I really trust them too much myself either. Yeah, it is unfortunate. But in related news, IDW is managing Tokyopop's foreign rights for non-English markets. So it's bad enough that Tokyopop is back in the game in North America, but their catalog is going to extend into non-English language markets too. 
And great, now Tokyo Pop's trying to sell their stuff all over the world. That's great. Yeah. Cause cause we cause we need other countries to see uh see the quality that is Tokyo Pop. We we, we need to give other countries more reasons to hate us, I guess. <laughs> oh yeah. They can never get enough of those. Nope. And you can never have enough reasons to hate DMP. Uh-oh, yeah, this this whole thing. Because <laughs> there are so many reasons to. Beyond the fact that older Kickstarters are always delayed in terms of when they ship out the rewards, and that there is very poor communication on their part throughout the process, and a whole bunch of tragic things involving Izumi Matsumoto, the creator of... Kimigurui Orange Road, and how they promise things from him that in his health he cannot deliver, but they were still trying to make him do it anyway. It's just very disgusting and shameful. But according to a very reliable source, Tesca in English, who, if you know him on Twitter, is a very knowledgeable text expert. He runs the Tesca English website which is a great resource as as I'm a Tezuka fan but yeah uh, he has it, he tweeted recently uh, that on good authority he's found out that all work at Digital Manga has effectively stopped. So the chances of the Kickstarters being fulfilled is practically zero. Which means I'm out of like $300 basically. In uh, unfulfilled campaigns, but uh, it's it's sad. But perhaps not. Perhaps there's hope because then a few weeks later, the president of DMP, Hikaru Sasahara, posted an update uh, apologizing for delays and promising to fulfill the rewards. So, what is the real story here, or like what is really going to happen? It's still unclear. At least for the time being, they're not hiding away, but there's still no trust, no guarantee that we'll get these Kickstarters fulfilled. Because they have four Kickstarters that they have an outstanding balance on. Their Delico Psyche Kickstarter, their Wonder Street Kickstarter, their Kodomo no Jiken Kickstarter, and their Kimigori Orange Road Kickstarter. Four Kickstarters they still need to make good on. So will they do it? I hope so. I want my books. But <laughs> we'll see. I know. I, I, I feel I feel really sorry for you, Sid. I, I know you were a, a big supporter on those. Um, and I know you really were looking forward to those. Um, I feel sorry for everyone else, too, because that, that really blows. And... I would honestly be just as upset. Yeah, I mean, if you're out $300 plus on books that you'll never get, you should be upset. See, I already feel bad spending $300 on manga that I already own. I can't imagine (laughs) what it feels like to spend $300 on manga you don't own. Yeah. You're still waiting on. Lucky you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is a sad state of affairs when it comes to getting some classic titles released in English because it seemed for a while that DMP would be a great publisher for Tesca's catalog and also maybe some series like Kimigori Orange Road. There was some hope there, 
They they fulfilled previous Kickstarters. They usually put out good books, but they tried to do too much at once and they didn't run their company well. And so poor planning and mismanagement has led to their downfall. And the disappointment of many crestfallen manga fans everywhere. Yeah, that's really unfortunate. And us classic manga fans will continue to be disappointed because Udon Entertainment recently shared an update on their Rose Oversized manga release, which has been delayed for a long time because they promised it would come out in 2016, but it's already 2018 and it still hasn't come out. And they say in their late update that they have 80% of the series translated and they're going through editing and then the first book is in the stages of lettering and they're working on the cover design so I guess progress is being made but this is also something where you're like man you really are taking a long time on this you promised this in second quarter of 2016 it's 2018 now what is wrong with uh, overestimating giving like a, a, a more accurate or at least uh, uh, some room for leeway in your estimate of when these books will come out. Like, uh, you know, uh, you clearly did not plan this out to be able to get it done by 2016 and now it's already 2018. So, you know, if you originally said, oh, well, we're not going to give a definite release date, but we are working on this, you know, that would be better. But, you know, this is this also applies to DMP. Like, why on your Kickstarters do you always say that you'll have your books done by a date that you know you will not have them done by. It it makes no sense. Overestimate the date. Say it'll be later than you would hope to have them out just so that, you know, you give yourself some time for leeway, for some room to allow for, you know, mishaps to happen because they will always happen. But I don't know. I don't know how they're running their companies. Considering... So the people who work at Udon Entertainment, or at least Matt Moylan's recent statements about diversity in comics. And uh, Matt Moylan is a, the director of publishing at Udon Entertainment. And recently, he, they, he got into a Twitter argument uh, with Zach Davison, who you might know as a translator of uh, various titles, uh, most notably, uh, Shigeru Mizuki's work like Gekige no Kitaro and uh, all sorts of related Shigeru Mizuki series, as well as uh, Gonagai stuff. He did the translation for Queen Emeraldus and Cutie Honey. So, you know, he's uh, a great guy. And uh, but recently, like Matt Moyland got into an argument in him and he put out some opinions that shows that he doesn't really care about diversity in comics or at the very least he's put out like a controversial statements about how marvel is trying to push diversity and he uses the term foul diversity false diversity and saying those things don't matter diversity doesn't matter yeah diversity doesn't sell comics and that's a very disturbing uh, perspective from s- someone whose company is releasing Rosa Rasai, which is very important as a formative 
LGBT work. I, I don't know. Maybe I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist, but maybe 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 there's a reason it's taken so long. I don't know. Maybe they just don't care. I think it just speaks that they license the series that they don't understand the appeal of, or at the very least, Matt Moylan doesn't understand how much diversity and representation matters to audiences if he's saying those things do not matter, but his company is releasing a series which matters because of those things, so... Yeah, it's just a really weird situation all around. Definitely very disturbing. <laughs> yep. It leaves a sour taste in my mouth. But what makes me happy is that there are cool people working in the manga industry at other places. Uh, one of those cool people being David Brothers, who was uh, formerly uh, the branding and content manager at Image Comics. And recently, he has been hired on as an editor by Viz Media for their manga line, specifically some Shonen Jump titles. If you listen to the Shonen Jump podcast, he has been a guest a few times uh, in the last couple weeks. And he's a really fun dude, a really uh, cool dude who, you know, is very passionate about comics and manga. And it's uh, he seems like a great fit for Wiz. But... Now we have some more unfortunate news to talk about in regards to people. Not because they did anything bad like uh, Matt Moylan, but because they passed away, unfortunately. And that's unfortunate because uh, the mangaka in this case who has passed away is Karabu Marley, best known as the mangaka behind Old Boy. Uh, he died at 70, passed away peacefully. And uh, Marley drew under various pen names, including Garen Suchia, which is what he used as a pen name for Old Boy. And Old Boy is a great manga. Its uh, adaptation, its film adaptation by Park Chan Wook is perhaps more famous than the original manga. But I really love both, and I think the manga is really interesting as a commentary of Japan in the 90s, specifically like its socio-economic situation and how that affected people. Uh, so it was a very interesting series. For for a film class, like I wrote a comparison between the manga and the film, comparing like how they approached specific socio-economic issues and commentary in regards to how the manga focused on what was going on in Japan, and then Park Chan-wook's adaptation focuses on what goes on in South Korea. So it was very interesting to compare those. So, you know, I have a connection with Old Boy because I spent so much time thinking about that series and the material in a deeper respect. So I am very sad to hear that Marley has passed away. Rest in peace. Yes, rest in peace. But on the subject of authors passing away... That has to do a lot with copyright laws because copyright laws usually are set to go on for a certain number of years after the original creator has died. Their copyright protections extend to a certain number of years after the original creator has died and after that is public domain. So recently Japan actually has been working to amend the Japanese copyright law to extend copyright protection 
from the current 50 years to 70 years, which is how copyright laws are right now in the U.S. Copyright is good up to 70 years after the original creator's debt, which is a move that is going to take Japan closer to what the provisions of the Trans-Pacific Partnership Trade Agreement uh, stipulates. So this is just kind of having like a uniform copyright protection policy in comparison with other all parties involved in the Trans-Pacific Partnership. So it makes sense that why they would kind of make this move just in terms of the political reasons, but also in general, copyright laws are probably always going to be pushed back farther and farther so that they never actually end up affecting uh, major franchises and studios from, you know, losing copyrights to their IPs. Like, Disney is going to lobby uh, the government to make sure that Mickey Mouse will never, ever be public domain by getting copyright extended farther and farther back. Because that would be coming up pretty soon under current copyright law. But, you know, you know Disney's never going to let that happen. And uh, yeah. I don't, I'm sure that there are various parties in Japan that don't want, you know, stuff like Dragon Ball to ever come to the public domain or uh, perhaps more appreciately or uh, more soon to come would probably be like Tezuka's series, Osama Tezuka's work. Like, uh, I'm sure that Tezuka Productions will not want to have any of that stuff be public domain. So they'll probably try and lobby the government to push that farther farther back, the closer it gets to that state. So it's worth kind of pointing this stuff out because this does affect the industry. And it'll be interesting to see what comes of it. What manga might one day be public domain? Who knows what could lapse into it and what won't. But it seems like it'll be take a longer time for a lot of that stuff to happen now that they've pushed it back some of the years. But uh, speaking of more industry news in the state of the manga industry, an interesting trend seems to have taken place in last year, and that is that digital manga volume sales overtook print sales in Japan for the first time in 2017. Physical sales are actually down 14%, while digital sales are up 17%. This is a report done by the Research Institute for Publications. And yeah, I mean, they say that digital sales are at 171.1 billion yen, about US uh, $1.6 billion, while physical sales are only about 166.6 billion yen, or US $1.56 billion. So... I mean, these figures do not include magazine sales, just graphic novel sales. But it's very interesting to see that we've finally hit that point where it seems that digital is overtaking print as the medium of choice for readers. Mm. Yeah, that is interesting. So so this obviously means that print's dead, right, Sid? Not yet. I mean, if you look at the margin, yeah, I mean, digital did overtake print, but it's, it's still even enough. There isn't a big disparity. Uh, it's also worth noting that combined print and digital sales are actually down uh, 0.9% compared to the previous year. And the report claims or speculates that piracy might uh, have had an effect on that. 
And then also the growth rate for digital comics shrunk last year. So they don't uh, specify by how much. But it's just worth noting those little details as well. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me, honestly. And just corroborating that is a different report from the All Japan, a book publishers and editors association, which estimated that physical sales of manga did drop by 12% compared to the same period in 2016. So we have two reports that are saying that, yeah, physical sales are in decline, but digital is going up. Well, that's that's good, at least. Mm hmm. But on that subject of a drop in overall sales due to piracy, and sure, it was less than 1%, but a drop is a drop. It still matters, yeah. And uh, there's been a lot of uh, piracy discussion recently, and a lot of mangaka speaking out about piracy. One manga creator called Gaku Kuse uh, posted a special chapter of his Uramichi Onisan manga recently, where the series title character educates young children about the problems with illegally distributing manga online. And that manga was retweeted quite a number of times. And basically, this is just interesting as part of the ongoing discussion and manga creators coming out and speaking out about piracy including the likes of veterans like Tetsuya Chiba, the artist of Ishida no Joe, among other series like Notari no Matsutaro. And Tetsuya Chiba, as uh, the chair of the Japan Cartoonist Association, posted a statement that decried piracy and encouraged fans to avoid piracy and an article on NHK uh, that he did an interview with, you know, also had some statistics that, you know, pointed out, yeah, uh, physical sales are being declined in general. Piracy is having an effect on manga sales overall, and the damage could worsen because uh, in a, a 2014 report had reported that piracy cost an estimated 50 billion yens worth of sales. That's $464 million worth in sales in US dollars. So it has an effect. That 1% has an effect. Yeah, that 1%, it doesn't seem like much, but it is. Yeah, and there's also statistics saying that the number of people who are using pirate sites has been increasing. And the article that NHK did... uh, cited a report by Video Research Interactive that stated they found 230,000 people in Japan were using pirate sites. Uh, among the users, 42% were in t- their teens, 21% were in their 40s, and 19% were in their 50s. So this isn't just like a young people's epidemic. This is like readers, young and old, are pirating manga, and this is having a bad effect on the industry. And... Even though there have been many mangaka that are calling on fans to avoid piracy, there is some discussion towards what publishers can do to encourage people not to pirate. Some mangaka are not happy with how the publishers have been handling the piracy situations. And one of those creators is Takashi Yoshita, the mangaka behind the Almost Got Laid Committee. 
And Yoshida believes that manga publishers and piracy sites are stuck in an endless loop of repetitive behavior because the publishers don't have a proactive response. Publishers are always reactive to piracy. They don't try and crush the pirated versions before they are released. Pirated versions come out first and then they take them down. But the damage is already done once something is pirated. So legal measures and shutting down sites after the fact is not doing enough because what the publishers should do is figure out what is causing people to go to pirate sites and find avenues to lead people away from them by offering basically a better product. Because Yoshida believes that there are many problems with how publishers are currently producing and selling manga, and they're not responding to what customers want in terms of pricing and availability, and are still stuck with using sales methods that are out of date. And so Yoshida believes that publishers need to basically get with the times and kind of recognize what the culture of the manga community is right now and create content platforms that are accessible to fans that will encourage them to use those platforms to encourage them to use legal platforms and support the industry financially by offering just a better service than pirate sites. Yeah, I, th- I think I very much agree with um I'm I'm very much in line with um I think Yoshida's point of view. Yeah. Cuz hearing about his opinion on on manga pirate sites really makes me think back to um how long ago was this? Uh a couple years back when um when i think the first time uh and i i hate to name sites but you know the first time you know a site like manga got taken down we should bleep that out yeah we should <laughs> uh when when so and so got taken down and uh, a lot of people were upset because you know of course you know uh you don't really need people on like at the time you really didn't need people online who you know who translated like you know, the like the big three at the time, quote unquote, you know, Bleach and Naruto and One Piece. Like you didn't really need people to do fan translations of those because those were coming out legally. But, you know, they're like they were the only people at the time, I believe, who were doing stuff like, uh, you know, stuff that Viz picked up in particular, but like dropped after a while, like stuff like Reborn and Gintama, where unfortunately they just kind of stopped doing those after a while. And you didn't really have like a legal way to read the rest of the series. You kind of some people, you know, kind of had to depend on, you know, uh, stream. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it just kind of reminds me of situations like that where it's like I'm all for pirate sites being taken down. But I personally just as a consumer would like if you're going to take down a site, I hope you can offer me something better, something more consumable, something a little more accessible. Which I think is pretty much my same opinion. I, again, I very much agree with Yoshida in that uh, in that respect. Yeah, he has quite a few good ideas in terms of like what could encourage fans to uh, stick with legal manga avenues, like websites that allow fans to read a variety of manga for a set price could be a solution. Uh, even though there are a lot of sites that exist. Like that, he thinks that the selection of titles could be, you know, increased given some more diversity 
uh, just a larger catalog on sites like that. And the prices to access digital manga could decrease. That could be a solution. He suggests that removing plastic covers on manga and bookstores could bring people back into going to physical bookstores and like flipping through books might encourage them to actually purchase a book. He thinks that publishers could even be more selective about what they choose to publish and reduce the amount of publications so the market isn't saturated. So he has a lot of different ideas. Uh, A lot of these ideas are things that have been suggested in the ongoing conversation about piracy in the manga and anime community over here in the West. Uh, I've heard a lot of these arguments uh, over here just recently. So it seems like uh, there are, a lot of people have pretty similar ideas of what could be done to improve the situation of piracy so that, you know, people don't pirate and stick with legal avenues. I mean, I'm at the risk of sounding a little negative. I also I'm also of the opinion that piracy is never going to be completely stopped. It's always going to be around, unfortunately, but that that doesn't mean I'm I'm not all for ways to I guess decrease piracy however much we can. Yeah, it can be mitigated for sure. I definitely think that you know, if you offer a better product than the pirates, people will gravitate towards that if even if they have to pay. Really makes me wish that like, say, for ex- example, if we could at least stop, like, you know, magazines like Jump being leaked, like, days early before its actual release, I think that would help a lot. Because then, you know, you could you could stop people from being like, oh, well, uh, this is Shonen Jump isn't same day and date because it comes out on Thursday. So, actually, it's late when they don't know any better. Oh, well, yeah. Uh, yeah, that needs to be curbed. That, those magazine leaks need to be curbed. Uh, in recent years, it's been... A little better in the sense that they've been able to get them later and later. So those scans sometimes don't come out before the official release, which is nice. But, you know, it still happens pretty frequently. So I really hope they can curb that problem soon. Yeah, I I, th- I think that's definitely one of the biggest hurdles that um, the publishers need to somehow get the jump on. There are a lot of reforms that can be made in the manga publishing industry. And how they address piracy is one thing that is long overdue in need of like a new strategy in order to mitigate the problem. But another unfortunate problem that occurs in the manga industry is that assistants are often forced to work overtime but they are not paid for that over time. And such is the case of one mangaka called Shunsuke Kakushi, who recently posted that uh, he did not receive overtime pay when he was working as an assistant to Norifusa Mita, the mangaka of Investor Z and Dragon Zakura. Uh, For about 11 years and 7 months, he never received that overtime pay. So Kakushi requested the overtime pay from Mita from working every week during that 11-year period. And so after he made this post on his blog, it kind of went viral. It had a buzz and it raised a lot of awareness towards, yeah, assistants are often really overworked. They are often forced to work overtime without 
a whole lot of pay. But nowadays, Mita seems to have a better workplace condition uh, in terms of like an interview he did with Yahoo News Japan in December 2017. He said that his assistants have three days off a week and he doesn't let them do overtime. But in the past, that was not the case with his assistants, uh, according to Kakushi, because he did not receive pay even once uh, for the 11 years he was working for him. And that practice needs to be reformed because, uh, you know, that's what leads to debt by overwork is working bad hours uh, without rest and then not having the support uh, in order to help yourself and, you know, having to stress out about money and stuff. Not to jump too far ahead, but it is worth mentioning that eventually uh, Kakuishi did get uh, repaid his overtime, which is a good thing. I was working towards that, but uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> eventually, yes, the story had a happy ending because Kakuishi was eventually paid by Mita for all his overtime pay, but even still, it uh, has still raised a conversation uh, the manga creator Shuo Sato from uh, Say Hello to Blackjack also posted a response about this, you know, talking about the harsh conditions uh, and that it can be a struggle when you're a mangaka, to how, how to treat your assistants and like make sure that they are treated fairly when you have to stress about the deadlines and stuff. So I'm, I don't mean to interrupt you, but th- this part of the story really surprised me. In how uh, Sato again, one of the uh, one of the mangaka that responded to Kakuishi, um, had mentioned, I guess, in a Twitter conversation that uh, he started talking about uh, what it was like working for uh, Fukumoto, uh, the creator of Kaiji, and how he would work ninety to one hundred and forty hours per week and only got ten hours of sleep and basically got two hundred yen per hour with no overtime and. That really, that really kind of blew my mind. Like that, honestly, really surprised me. That sounds hellish. I mean, that's less than minimum wage in the U.S. That's a one dollar and seventy nine cents an hour. Not even two dollars. That's ridiculous. Like, wow! I can't. I cannot imagine. I can't imagine working a job like that at all. Yeah, that that would be criminal in the U.S. because we have the minimum wage. I really hope Fukumoto's work environment has changed since then, because if not, that's really disappointing. But yeah, Sato's story was pretty eye-opening. You know, assistants especially are prone to exploitation because they so often go uncredited, uh, and they don't usually receive royalties for the manga that they work on. So there really just needs to be a big overhaul in the Japanese labor laws. Yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate because I don't think we really have the time to go over like the real nitty gritty of like everything that happened and a lot of the conversations with other magaka that uh, Kakuishi was having on Twitter. But it is a really interesting story. It's it's re- like... Again, like we said, he, he he ultimately got his pay, which is good. But the the work it took to get there is is all really interesting and eye opening, and like you know certain creators that come out to him and are like, oh well, you should think about the creators and you know how they need to support their families or whatever. And it's like, okay, come on, dude. 
I mean, in the end, the overtime pay that Kagushi ended up receiving from Ita was about 1 million yen, which is about $9,000, which when you're still thinking about his hours that he worked for 11 years, you feel that he probably deserves even more pay than that. But considering the rate he was working for, that 179 an hour, I guess it does end up totaling towards that. But beyond the compensation, Kakushi's goal was sparking this conversation and improving working conditions in the manga industry. And that's not something that will happen immediately. But I think this story, and I think, you know, the buzz that he raised with his story will still continue this conversation. And hopefully it will encourage more mangaka, especially young mangaka who get their start out as assistants, to, you know, kind of band together and kind of lobby uh, the government to improve the labor laws, especially for mangaka. Though it is worth mentioning that, you know, not every manga creator treats their workers like this. Uh, you know, there are people like Yoshihiro Tagashi of uh, Yu Yu Hakusho and Hunter Hunter fame, who apparently really goes out of his way to make sure that, you know, his assistants are fed and aren't overworked, like even like, you know, paying for their dinner and, you know, giving them like giving them his wallet for whatever, like they need things. Yeah. And I found that kind of heartwarming that Togashi is actually a pretty cool person and actually takes care of his employees. I'm not surprised. He seems like a person who would prioritize the happiness and health of himself and the people he's working with over, you know, forcing them to work long hours just to meet a deadline to the detriment of their health. Like, you know, considering that Tagashi rebelled against Jump forcing him to continue Yu show longer than he wanted him to, and then has essentially managed to work his contract in a way that he can take breaks so he can keep himself healthy. You know, I, I am not surprised that he has, he's, you know, such a good p- proponent of work, good working conditions. Yeah, it's, it's just nice to see. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's nice to see that he has the right attitude. I mean, that, you know, more people should adopt, like, his. Uh, attitude but you know just because of the culture of the manga industry and that and the mindset that a lot of mangaka have that they need to like work themselves to debt in order to you know draw these series and get work out on on time every week or like on hellish schedules even if it isn't a weekly series you know that is you know a detrimental mindset and it leads to a lot of exploitation and in general, I hope this conversation has like opened up eyes because even though I'm sure working conditions are a lot better in general now, because even me was, you know, working conditions for his assistance are a lot better than it used to be. But it, it's still, we still hear so many stories of mangaka like working themselves to the exhaustion or having to incur, you know, medical injuries because of their lifestyles as a result of, you know, bad working hours. So there's a lot of improvement that can still be made. And uh, again, I hope Mangaka, you know, really band together to improve labor laws for uh, the manga industry. Yeah, this really sort of opened my eyes in particular, because, you know, I mean, I hate to say it, but I'm, I'm sort of used to hearing these stories about how 
again, actual mangaka are, you know, are always overworked and always working these hellish schedules just to get their stuff done in time. And, you know, it, it never really once occurred to me, like, that being carried over to, you know, the other people that work with them. And I don't know, like, this story kind of opened my eyes in that sense. So it's just, I, I mean, it's probably, it's probably not the most surprising thing to hear, but I guess... I guess the manga industry is just hellish all around, which is which is unfortunate. But I'm personally hoping that we'll come to we'll come to a point one day where you know these people aren't nearly killing themselves all the time just to bring us their quality work. That that would be nice. Yeah, I can only hope that industry conditions will improve. I think they might, you know, consistently be improving from how they used to be, but you know, there's a long way to go. Yeah, I'm I'm still reeling over from that stuff with Fukumoto, honestly. <laughs> mm-hmm. But now, let's celebrate the people in the manga industry by talking about some cool awards many of them have received recently, or may receive in the case of Rumiko Takahashi, who has been nominated for the Eisner Hall of Fame for the Fort time after previously being nominated in 2017, 2016, and 2014. Rumiko of course, needs no introduction, but she's been nominated for the Eisner Hall of Fame for several years now, and I'm hoping that this year uh, she will finally be inducted into the Hall of Fame because she does deserve to be included among the likes of other uh, Eisner inductees like Usama Tezuka, Kazuo Koike, and Katsuhiro Tomo. So, here's hoping. And then, uh, talking about some people who have won awards recently, we have Hiro Mashima, who won Anglomay Special Award. Anglomay being a French comics festival. Uh, so he won the special award, you know, for his, his work on fairy tale and stuff so that's a really cool honor uh, some other people who won stuff at Anglume include uh, Kazuo Omezu whose series My Name is Shingo won uh, the Best Heritage Comic Award which I'm not sure what that uh, specifies in terms of like what what the category like means, what heritage comic means, but uh, I think it just means maybe best foreign comic. Probably. Yeah, so very cool to see Umezu being recognized. Uh, and also, Naoke Urasawa won the Specially Mystery Award for his work. And it's always cool to see Urasawa be recognized for his stuff. Yeah, definitely very well deserved there. So a lot of long-standing talents have been getting great recognition. But what about new talents? Like, new voices coming into the manga industry? Like, what, how will they be re- discovered? Well, who, when will the next uh, Takahashi or Mashima be discovered? Well, Shonen Magazine has decided to take an effort to give feedback to every comic submitted to their new website... Uh, and how the system that they are setting up is that in their new Shonen Magazine debut site, uh, they will have a team of editors who will comment on all the manga posted to the site, and manga creators can 
uh, choose which editor will be in charge of their work. All of their work will be uh, free to read on the website and submit. And readers can help their favorite series rise to the top by voting for it. And so site visitors upload their work, uh, what are their series or one-shots. And while Kadansha, you know, has limitations on what you can upload, you know, it's it's pretty straightforward, just keep it family-friendly. And yeah, so this is a really cool way to kind of like help new manga creators kind of get individual feedback uh, as they're developing uh, their skills. So I'm really happy that uh, Kadansha is, is uh, doing this. I think it's a good service. Yeah, that, that's a really that's a really cool service they're offering. Another cool service Kadansha is offering is a new app called Comic Days, which is an online service for six of their magazines, including Young Magazine, Morning, Afternoon, Evening, Kiss, and Be Love. So this app will feature manga that has been serialized in all these magazines, as well as compiled volumes of the most manga, and alongside catalog titles as well. There will also be exclusive manga to this service, including Fable uh, by Katsuhisa Minami, Yuroto Hunter Wantan-chan by Atsushi Nakayama, Saisei Sentai Holy Men by Shiny Nakamura, Kiseiju Lebasi by Muare Ota, Murder Ball by Keisuke Hiya, De Gozer by Jun Watanabe, Mijuku na Futari de Gozaimusu Kai by Ren Kawahara, and Mina no Uta by Shunjo Ono. So there's even exclusive manga on this service. Uh, another incentive to like read this app, and it's pretty affordable app. It's the seven twenty a month, about six sixty US dollars, and the first month is free. Mm, there we go. Another really cool service that Kadansha uh, Japan is doing. It's really exciting to see so much cool work from a lot of great mangaka at one place. And another thing that's kind of like that, that's very special, is the world's first Yuri textbook, which will feature manga and illustrations by 39 different mangaka, including the likes of Hachi Ito, from uh, the mangaka behind Kindred Spirits on the Roof, Naoko Kodama, the mangaka of NTR Nessuzo Trap, and Yuehara of Kinro Mosaic, among many others. I wonder if we'll get a US release of this. This will be a 134 page book. It'll cost about $7 in Japan, about like 700 yen. But I could definitely see this coming out over here. This seems like something that Seven Seas could license. I was just gonna say that, yeah. Seven, this is this this really does this sounds like something Seven Seas would pick up. I mean, they've certainly been known for their Yuri as of late, so it would be a great fit for them. But now we're gonna get back into some controversial news. Uh, the first of which is that a light novel author has decided to protest some of Twitter's policies after the cover to one of their books was banned on the site, uh, that Twitter censored the cover image of one of their books. That light novel author is Mahiro Kisaragi. Uh, the series is the decision of Isoko Yamamoto, with art by Kofi Neko, and um, the second volume of the book was... Uh, censored on Twitter because it featured adult content, even though the cover itself 
contained no nudity and it was designated as an all ages title by the publisher. That's really weird. Yeah, so Kisaragi took offense to this. He kind of actually went to, it seemed, Twitter Japan themselves to protest a claim, but found that they filed an opposition letter that was uh, forwarded to Twitter corporates. So, you know, they couldn't really do anything else. So it was a short-lived fight, but this just raises questions about censorship and where the line is and to what kind of content should be censored and where the line is drawn too far, which is is kind of an ongoing conversation that we've been having a few. I mean, I know that Patreon, uh, for example, recently made some controversial changes to its policies that some people have taken offense to. Uh, There's been all sorts of controversies over content on YouTube and Twitter and stuff. So it's very interesting to talk about. And uh, I guess this uh, author story kind of ends on a disheartening note because ultimately, you know, he couldn't really do much because they wouldn't really hear out his claim protest. But, you know, another disheartening piece of news is actually uh, Nobuhiro Watsuki was recently, you know, convicted of a child porn possession. But his sentence was that he only has to pay a fine of 200,000 yen, which is only about 1,900 US dollars. So considering his crime, it's hard not to feel miffed about how light he's getting off here. It's really a slap on the wrist. And considering that possession of child porn in Japan can lead to an imprisonment of up to one year and a maximum fine of 8,800. Like, it seems Waski really got off light here, considering, you know, what the punishment should have been. Yeah, it doesn't seem like he served any kind of jail time, I guess, which is kind of unfortunate. Yeah, and what's bad about this especially is that, you know, it just sets... A very bad precedent for how situations like this will be treated in the future. Like, if they had taken a stand against Watsky and really punished him, you know, that would send a good message that this kind of behavior will not and should not be tolerated. But by just giving him a slap on the wrist, it kind of mitigates the severity of what he did. And it creates this worrying fear that he might come back from this and continue to work because it's not a fine it's not a fine that can hurt him at all really I don't think it would so it's just very very disappointing yeah i really can't help but feel like it's because of the legacy he has what with kenshin and some of his other works that well let's be honest probably mostly kenshin um that he got off so easily which is disappointing And I mean, at the very least, like if he's not going to serve any jail time, I really don't want him to get hired back. I don't really think I don't think he deserves any more work. And I'm I mean, I'm certainly not gonna I mean, my my feelings on Kenshin aside, like I still like Kenshin, even though, you know, I'm one of those people who, you know, it's it's unfortunate because I I was actually thinking about doing a reread of Kenshin like before all of this happened. And then all of this did happen, and it just kind of soured any – it basically erased any desire I had to reread it, because 
unfortunately, like most people, like I can't, I'm not going to be able to revisit Kenshin without having this in the back of my mind. And it's, just, it's, it's going to take from my experience trying to revisit the series, which is unfortunate. Cause that, that cause that, that like what he did is always going to be there, which really sucks. And cause you know, I like, like most others, I really liked his work and, but you know, if there, if there comes a time where Shueisha may or may not, unfortunately, you know, give him more work, I'm definitely not going to support it because now that I know he spends most of his money on this kind of stuff, I just, I don't feel comfortable. Yeah, I agree. It's a sad situation all around. But let's move on and end off our industry news discussion with some interesting new joint ventures that are starting up some partnerships between people in the industry. The first of which is a new joint venture between Sutomu Mihei and Polygon Pictures. They have teamed up to create a new venture called TOA Heavy Industries LLP, which is a new company that is going to go beyond screen projects and expand into other films, planning for original projects in games, goods, and industrial product design. It'll also be supervising works and rights management. Uh, the website f- for this company will launch later this year. It's similarly named to a company that appears in Nihei's works. And it seems that it'll focus on bringing kind of concepts that Nihei has come up in his series and kind of using them as a springboard for IPs to use in games and goods and uh just actual products too so it's very interesting to see like you know with polygon pictures of course has had a pretty good relationship with nihei having adapted blame and knights of sidonia so it's very cool to see that they're taking their relationship with nihei to a whole another level now but speaking of companies that are expanding from the anime sphere into the gaming sphere, Viz Media is partnering with Rose City Games to develop independent video games. Rose City Games is a Portland-based video game developer, and basically Viz is going to be distributing some of their titles that they've been developing uh, the first of which being the world next door and it's basically Wiz is just entering into the foray of being a video game uh, distributor distributor and publisher so very cool to see Viz, you know uh, expand uh, what they're dabbling in and i'm interesting to see what comes out of this partnership and finally, my anime list is op- has opened a manga store that features titles from Viz and Kodansha Comics. And this has been online since March 8 and includes 200 titles from both publishers with more titles being available in the future. And it's available in many countries. So it's pretty accessible. Uh, I've heard some mixed things about this venture uh, I believe Maxi tweeted about it recently and said a lot of comics on there cost more than you would find them on other platforms and the interface isn't the most intuitive. It seems like a work in development, but it's just nice to have more legal platforms for manga consumption. Yeah, I mean, I, I, re- I read some of Maxi's tweets about this too, and it kind of turned me off a little bit, but I am hoping that Maybe they could kind of work on it. But 
there's some really cool new ventures, uh, new partnerships from a lot of different companies. I'm interested to see what'll happen out of those. But now let's move on to some miscellaneous news. And let's start off like a fun piece of miscellaneous news. Uh, the Shaman King popularity poll. So f- to celebrate its 20th anniversary, the Shaman King 20th anniversary website gave fans uh, their chance to pick their favorite character, including a whole bunch of different variations of that character. And f- fans can vote on uh, who their favorite character was once per day from the beginning of January to j- the end of January. And ultimately, a total of 63,120 votes were cast, selecting from a roster of over 350 characters. And, you know, despite the variety of options, it seems that voters picked, you know, some of the pretty uh, straightforward picks. Uh, they went f- for Yo Asakura, who won first place. And uh, second place went to Howe, the main antagonist of the series. And the third place went to Anna, the main female character. Uh, but the website lists all 376 choices in order of how many votes they received. And uh, the, one of the main uh, incentives of this popularity poll is that the winner would be the star of a new spin-off manga or a pro- future project that Takei would work on. So I guess uh, that it'll be about Yo after all then. Uh, <sighs> yes, you missed your chance to get a Manta spinoff manga, folks. I- I'm sure a lot of people would have loved that. <laughs> but no, what what what's the main character up to? We don't we don't see we don't see anything about him. Oh no. We we don't see it's not like he's the main character. It's not like uh, we already had his story. Say you don't understand. There's a lot of untapped potential there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the spinoffs have not featured Yo very heavily, so maybe people have been demanding more Yo. Maybe that has been something they haven't had in a while. But now to move on to a weird piece of news. Apparently, a pair of manga thieves stole over a hundred volumes worth of manga before they were eventually caught in the act. Uh, they were caught wow. in the act stealing 38 volumes of Kingdom at once, but they in total had stolen 138 volumes uh, because they had robbed that same bookstore before and stole 100 manga volumes then. Uh, and then the store manager recognized that they were the thieves when they came back to steal these Kingdom volumes and busted them. And it was like a uh, older man and a middle uh, middle school student, a 14-year-old. And it's like a weird pairing. Uh, I don't know why they wanted uh, 138 volumes of manga to steal, I guess, just to read it or to resell it. No one knows. Maybe to scan it. I don't know. Oh, God. I wonder. It's people like these, isn't it? Pro- probably. <laughs> That sounds like a premise for a manga of what do you get when you have an older man and a middle school student? You get a pair of thieves, of course. (laughs) I'd I'd read that. It's like Gentle and La Brava in My Hero Academia. Yeah, it kind of is, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) That was a fun piece of news. Yeah, that's really weird. I'd really like to know the reason why they went out of their way to steal it. I mean, I guess they didn't didn't want to pay for them. I don't know. That's really weird. Especially since manga is so cheap over there compared to, like, over here. 
But it still costs money. Yeah, and <laughs> as we all know, nobody likes to pay for anything. No, no. But yeah, this was a weird little oddity. But let's move on now to talk about some live-action adaptations of manga and anime series. And always a problem or a question people have when it comes to these series is how to handle representation of POC characters, characters of different ethnicities. And this is a conversation that takes place in adaptations both in Japan and in the U.S. And so a controversial casting choice recently occurred when, in regards to the live-action Princess Jellyfish TV show, which cast the actress Noriko Iguchi as an Indian character named Nisha. And uh, if you've read Princess Jellyfish, like... Nisha is an Indian who lives in Japan and like, you know, she speaks Japanese, but she is Indian. And, you know, not only is she being played by a Japanese actress, but they are using makeup to make her seem more Indian uh, to match her character design. Uh, so this is like basically the equivalent of blackface or like how in hollywood films they might you might you might dress up a a white actor as a poc or a character of different ethnicity so this is like a similar kind of bad situation going around here where it's like uh why why couldn't you have cast a actual indian actress for this character yeah that's that's a little uncomfortable honestly yeah uh I, yeah, to, it's definitely disappointing to me to see, you know, especially since Princess Jellyfish is like a series about personal identity and like how important that is to you. It's like, oh, but you're casting this in a character who's supposed to be Indian uh, with a Japanese actress and then you're just using like makeup to make her seem Indian. Just, I'm sure there has to be some Indian actress you could find to play like Nisha's role. There has to be someone in Japan. Like, I'm sure they're probably, it's probably hard to find somebody like that to fit that criteria, possibly. But I mean, like, I I don't know, maybe, they could have at least taken the effort. But I mean, I'm, I'm I also mean, assuming yeah. a lot of things on, on the production side, so. I mean, to me, it's especially weird because apparently the live action movie of Princess Jellyfish did find an Indian actress who spoke Japanese huh. to play Nisha. So why this show would not do that is really questionable. But it just goes to show that they they can also be accused of uh, some bad casting decisions when it comes to characters of different ethnicities. But in a case of Hollywood doing something interesting in terms of representation... The producer of the Sword Art Online live action series that is going to be coming on Netflix has announced that the series will have Asian lead actors. Kirito and Asuna will be played by Asian lead actors, which is kind of cool to see that, uh, you know, they're going to be true to the characters' ethnicities in the series. So that's nice. Uh, I mean, I don't know if it's going to be set in Japan, but it's going to be a very interesting I think it's just kind of nice to see this happen considering all the controversy that happened with Ghost in the Shell. And you had a character called Matoku Kusanake being played by Scarlett Johansson. 
Well, it, it at least seems like for this particular production of Sword Art Online, they're at least going for a more diverse cast because obviously people in the world of Sword Art Online play Sword Art Online around the world. So I appreciate them going that far as far as like just the little things go. Yeah, I do appreciate that. It's cool to see, you know, more Asian representation in a big media project like this. And also, in general, just uh, to see more diverse casts and uh, see some more faithfulness to adapting anime properties in live action in Hollywood. Yeah, as much as I don't really care about Sword Art Online, I wouldn't actually wouldn't mind maybe checking a little bit of this out. Because you never know, it, it, it could be good. You never know. It seems the producer, at the very least, has a good head on their shoulders, so they seem to know what they're doing and uh, have a real vision for it. So I am interested in it. But now let's move on to the discussion of some mangaka who will be appearing in some North American comics festivals pretty soon. The first of whom we'll talk about is Inu Asano, who will be attending the Toronto Comics Art Festival on May 12th to May 13th. Uh, this will be Asano's first ever visit to North America, which is pretty exciting. And he's attending the festival uh, to coincide and promote the release of Dead Dead Demons Needed to Destruction, which Wiz is releasing on April 17th. And Asana will participate in an onstage interview and autograph sessions, as well as a live drawing for the festival's professional development program. So yeah, uh, get your tickets to Toronto Comics Art Festival if you want to see Inu Asano. It'll be from May 12th to May 13th, though it will also have a professional development day on May 11th if you want to also attend that. And the next uh, set of creators that we'll talk about are the duo behind Dead Man Wonderland. Both Jinsei Kataoka and Kazume Kondo will be guests of honor at Anime Central 2017. This will be their first professional appearance in North America, and they will participate in panel discussions and autograph sessions. And Anime Central uh, will be from May 18th to May 20th in Rosemont, Illinois at the Hyatt Regency O'Hare and the adjacent Donald E. Stevens Convention Center, about 30 minutes from downtown Chicago. So if you are big Dead Man Wonderland fans and can make it to the Illinois uh, Rosemont area, definitely go check them out. But moving back on to just some cool little new things that's going on. Uh, Japan recently digitized the first color manga magazine uh, for posterity. Uh, for This is like one of the first color manga uh, ever drawn. It was drawn uh, 113 years ago. Uh, it, this is a part of a project that is celebrating the Meiji government's 150th anniversary. And so the, like this uh, comic was drawn like 113 years ago in uh, 1905. Uh, it was the satire uh, magazine Tokyo Puck that is was inspired by the American magazine Puck. And it was done by Rakuten Kitazaka. Uh, Kitazawa, who is known as Japan's first occupational manga creator and drew many political manga for uh, Tokyo Puck. 
And so, yeah, it's it's really cool to see such a really classic piece of manga, you know, be preserved. And, uh, you know, I'd love a chance to check it out uh, when at some point. Uh, I don't I don't know if it's already it probably is already up, but I haven't uh, clipped through it yet. But it's just really cool to see, you know, a classic be uh, preserved like this. Definitely a neat little piece of history there. Yeah, something that's really worth checking out. Uh, alongside something else that's really cool that should be checked out is that uh, recently a gay Japanese vlogger uh, discussed boys' love uh, manga in you know an Eng- a video that you can watch with English subtitles. And basically, uh, th- this person discussed you know their thoughts on yai boys' love. It discusses like uh, sexism and heterosexism around the whole culture of BL and the author's own history with BL. And uh, this person has uh, previously been interviewed with Anime Feminist. They interviewed them in 2016. Uh, So, yeah, it seems like really worked uh, checking out if you want to, like, get a broader perspective of how the LGBT community in Japan kind of perceives the boys' love and yaoi genres and, like, how that influences how they're treated and representation in you know Japanese media. And now moving on to something completely unrelated, where I'll talk about some interesting things regarding toy licenses. And the first one of this is uh hey Colton, you remember the show Bakugan? Um yeah, unfortunately I do. <laughs> yeah, that that show that actually ran for quite a number of years and I think it's coming back, but so Bakugan, uh, the the toy license is with Spin Master, and they are uh, filing a suit against a different toy company called uh, Alpha Group and Alpha Animation and Toys Limited because uh, their product Screechers Wild infringes on Spin Master's patent for the Bakugan toys. Uh, basically, huh, interesting. it seems that these company that this uh, Alpha group company basically uh, is just making uh, products that are very too similar looking to the Bakugan products Spin Master makes. Uh, So, you know, Spin Master is, you know, filing a suit against them for, you know, copyright infringement. But uh, Alpha Group is sticking to supporting their product and is and states that they aren't going to be deterred by this suit. So it'll be interesting to see like who wins this uh, legal scuffle here. Yeah, Bakugan was certainly a thing, and I guess it's going to be a thing again. So yeah, but something that I don't know will be a thing, uh, or at least I don't know who will produce products of this thing in the future is Robotech, because Palladium Books Robotech license has expired and consequently the Kickstarter rewards for uh, their card game of the series has also been nullified because they can't produce Robotech products anymore. Wow. Uh, Yeah. Like they were doing this RPG card game thing. Uh, They did a Kickstarter for like a couple of years ago and they were like announcing that they would have like expansions in a couple ways, but now that they've lost the license, 
uh, they can't fulfill this, these rewards. So they're just, I guess, liquidating stock and offering uh, some of their older product in place of the unrealized product that you had promised. But they're also requiring the people who are interested in that to pay for their own shipping. So it's not completely fair and nice. But uh, unfortunately, if you have just found out about this, uh, you've missed the boat because the request for that were closed on March 20th. And so now Palladium Books is no longer releasing Robotech stuff. And who knows who will be able to release Robotech products in the future. But now let's go on and talk about some anime-related news just to close off the show. and Because there's some really cool stuff that's going on in the anime scene. Some cool stuff that's upcoming. And something that's happening right now is a Kickstarter for Gunsmith Cats. Uh, anime classic based on Kenichi Sonoda's manga of the same name about two cool bounty hunters who chase criminals in Chicago. Uh, the Kickstarter started and was fun on March 24th and basically got funded in four minutes. Like it got fully funded in four minutes. So now it's just all about the stretch goals. Wow. So that's you, pretty quick. Yeah. But so if you still want in on that Gunsmith Cax Kickstarter, it'll be up for about a month. So you'll have plenty of time to go and pledge to that campaign. I'll uh, leave a link in the show notes. Uh, I have already uh, pledged for the uh, Blu-ray of that. So I'm looking forward to that release. Because it seems pretty cool. But, and speaking of classics, we've got a new film coming out from Mamoru Oshii uh, that will be adapting the Chimera novels by Baku Yumi Makura. Oshii has not directed an anime feature since the Sky Callers in 2008. So this is quite exciting if you're a Mamoru Oshii fan, and I certainly am, because I love all his work, but... Uh, yeah, so this is a series of novels that it's first starting to be published in 1982 and uh, ran about 20 vo- uh, 16 volumes from 1982 to 2002. So it's a long-running novel series uh, that is has quite, you know, uh, it's probably quite nostalgic at this point since it's 30 years old. But it's just cool to know that Oshi is returning to anime film directing because uh, he always produces interesting work considering Oishi's reputation I have to imagine that it will get licensed oh yeah I'm sure it will I mean I feel like it will mm-hmm. but speaking of things that are being licensed High Dive has recently announced that they are getting into the simul dubbing game or rather they will begin doing dub cast because Funimation technically owns the trademark to the term simuldub. So only Funimation can use the term simuldub. So high simulcast dubs have to be called dubcasts because they can't use Funimation's term. But basically they're aiming to put out dubbed versions of select anime simulcasts within the first two weeks of their initial subbed simulcast release so cool to see more companies besides funimation get in on the simul dubbing game (laughs) i'm gonna have to keep using that word because i'm just so used to it it's so easy to say it is like how you keep using the word uh band-aid 
to describe an adhesive strip, even though Band-Aid is a copyrighted term uh, owned by a particular company that refers to the product that is adhesive strip. So, but, but it's so ubiquitous to call it Band-Aids that no one just calls it uh, an adhesive strip, even if it's not an actual Band-Aid product. A dubcast just sounds just sounds like another anime podcast. Unfortunately, I have to imagine it is the name of a anime podcast that already exists. I can't imagine that it doesn't. I mean, probably. I mean, the mix it, it probably is. Mm-hmm. But speaking of simulcasts and new anime coming out, let's talk about some exciting, cool new anime adaptions we can look forward to in the future. The first of which I want to talk about is a spin-off of Kaiji. Whoa, what? Called Tone Egawa. This huh. is being produced by Madhouse. It is about the a Tei group execs daily life. Those words mean nothing to me as someone who has not read Kaiji, but it's still pretty cool to see, you know, a new Kaiji related anime come out and by Madhouse. So, you know, it'll be really good. Mm, yeah. Hopefully this leads the way for more Kaiji stuff to get animated. Yeah. Uh, maybe a season three. Kaiji had two seasons, right? Yeah, Kaiji had two seasons. I I guess I I had heard from a friend that I guess um there were rumors of a season 3 I think, but like whatever animation was out, I guess was just used for like a uh, like a line of pachinko machines or something. Oh, so something so, that was something just a really misleading like that. It was that. just they just made footage for pachinko machines then. Yeah, pretty much, yeah, which is unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, that's a shame. But hey, uh if this kaiji spin-off anime does well maybe we'll see more kaiji related anime in the future yeah yeah Ho- hopefully hopefully it'll uh, I-, I haven't i don't know anything about this tonegawa spin-off um other than i th- i think it's more of a comedy series i think um so hopefully it'll be good hopefully but now we're getting into some stuff that i know that i'm excited about and this is a big one to me this is the first anime adaptation of this property in 18 years and that is boogie pop and others boogie pop is getting a new anime in the year of our lore 2018 (laughs) done by uh, madhouse i think yep it's uh it's from madhouse and apparently it's going to be directed by shingo natsume yeah another reason to be excited shingo natsume like a an incredible director, the director of One Punch Man, Space Dandy, and Akka 13 is doing this anime. So you know it's going to look super cool. You know it's going to have some stylish animation. And it's just super exciting. I, I mean, I really like Boogie Pop. Boogie Pop Phantom is super good. I mean, uh, this new anime will probably have a different tone from Boogie Pop Phantom. Because Boogie Pop Phantom itself had a different tone from light novels. But... You know, it's just really cool to see a new Boogie Pop anime. And the best part about a new Boogie Pop anime is that if it is good and gets really popular, it could encourage Seven Seas to publish more of the light novels, and we could get more of the manga adaptations over here. Like, just more Boogie Pop is exciting. So I'm really looking forward to this. 
You're really making me want to actually get into Boogie Pop. You should. It's good, man. I mean, it's also a seminal classic because it's like the progenitor of the modern light novel, basically. Hmm, interesting. Okay. It kind of codified, like, how, what light novels would come to be in terms of, like, it, its voice and uh, how it kind of tapped into, like, both abstract concepts and pop concepts. So it's very, it's very important in that respect. But speaking of classics getting anime that I'm excited about, we've got Karakuri Circus by Kazuhiro Fujita getting an anime by MAPPA. And that is super awesome and exciting. Basically, this is coming about just because the producer of this project like really liked Karakuri Circus and was like, hey, I want to make an anime of this. Because no one else will. This is basically the same reason why Yushi and Tora got an anime. And I am super thankful for that. Because, you know, I loved Yushi and Tora. And that had a fantastic adaptation. And Karkur Circus should receive the same. Because it will also be having some good feedback from Fujita. Who will be advising, you know, the staff about, like, what material they can cut in order to fit a 36 episode runtime because it's a it's a pretty long series it's a 43 volume series so there's a lot of ground to cover but you know if fujita is going to be involved in like the process of trimming the story down i'm a little more confident in what the final product will be like and just in general i'm super excited to see more fujita's work animated but man let's just keep the excitement train going because now this is now we've been talking about maybe some niche anime that are coming out that I'm that you know we've been excited about, but this one is you know something that I think the community as a whole is pretty hyped about, and that's Mob Psycho 100 second season, baby, yeah. Mob Psycho second season has been greenlit by Bones. That'll be coming out at some point. The staff will not change from the first season, so you got the same people working on it, so you can expect the same great quality. So yeah, that's something to look forward to, for sure. Oh yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to more Mob Psycho. But something else that I know a lot of people are going to be super hype about, I'm hype about it, it's something that has been long overdue, something that Fans of this manga have been wanting forever, and that is a Winland Saga anime. That's right, Winland Saga is getting an anime adaptation by Studio Wit of Attack on Titan, Cabinary, and Ancient Magus's Bride fame. Uh, it's, it's coming, folks. A Winland Saga manga anime is coming. Who ever thought would have happened? Will they do it justice? Well, it's, it's such a detailed, rich manga. It's like. You can imagine it could be difficult to adapt, but considering it is done by Studio Wit and how they have been able to handle very detailed designs and uh, line work, I think that we can be very confident that it should turn out pretty well. So I'm just super excited for it. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm fairly confident that Studio Wit can, you know, will be able to produce some very high quality work with this adaptation in general. I still need to get on Vinland Saga. I hear really, really good things about it, and it feels like it's something I would really enjoy. Yeah, read Vinland Saga, Colton. What is wrong with you? A lot of things, but that's just <laughs> one of them. 
Yeah, Wind and Saga is fantastic. Uh, just an incredible series. Uh, I'm glad that the manga got a resurgence back here in North America because it was like in an uncertain place for a while because uh, the sales weren't too hot in 2016, but they've continued their releases. So, and in terms of like uh, another exciting uh, series, and and that has a it's a, like. I don't really know a good transition to this, <laughs> honestly. Uh, they, <laughs> both the main characters have swords, and they are on a path of revenge. <laughs> Actually, that's a pretty good connection already. But whereas one is a currently ongoing modern series, this one is a classic. And it is a classic by a uh, very renowned mangaka, the one and only Osama Tezuka himself. Dororo is getting a new anime by MAPPA. And holy shit, it looks really cool, actually. Oh, yeah. It, it, the animation looks super good. The style looks super good. And yeah, so MAPPA's doing this project. Uh, it's going to be available exclusively on Amazon. It's like the first... Doro is one of uh, Tiska's more popular series. I think it gets uh, some adaptations pretty regularly in the modern day. Or at the very least, the last adaptation of it was a live-action film that came out in 2007. But Doro also had an anime adaptation a year, like in the 60s, in 1969. So this is like the first new anime adaptation of Doro in 50 years, which is pretty cool. It's basically a 50th anniversary project. But yeah, I really like Dororo a lot. It's a great series. I'm super excited for a new anime adaptation, especially since the style looks so freaking good. Oh yeah, this is going to be awesome. And to round off our discussion of new anime that are soon to debut, a very surprising announcement was made recently. Like, out of all of the new anime that were recently announced, this one probably surprised me the most because it seem to just come out of nowhere. But Muyo and Roji is getting a new anime, or rather, its first ever anime adaptation that will come out this summer. Muyo and Roji being a classic Shonen Jump series from 2004, uh, mid-2000s Jump series, about two supernatural detectives. Uh, Viz Media released the entirety of the manga over here. And of course, as we have discussed before, the uh, sequel series to it is currently serializing on Jump Plus. Yeah, so this will be interesting. I don't think there's any studio information on it just yet. Not yet, which is surprising since it's supposed to come out in the summer. But the promo image looks pretty nice. Yeah, and the uh, the teaser didn't look too bad either. Um, again, I, I know I probably shouldn't feel this way, but with the way that like Hoshinengi has been handled, I really hope that I really hope like Muyo and Roji can get a better treatment because I I really I really I really want this to be a good jumping off point for me because you know like like I had mentioned before I hadn't read Hoshinengi and I could clearly like even as someone who barely read any of it and didn't know anything about it I could clearly tell that this was such a uh, this production was plagued with a lot of problems uh, as far as like pacing and content cutting goes or whatever. But I'm really hoping this doesn't have the same problem. I really hope this turns out better than that. Because, you know, I haven't read Muyo and Roji, so I'm hoping this will be a good jumping point for me. I don't know. I'm just hoping it's good. Yep. And it's pretty cool that this has got an anime announcement because 
actually people have been wanting to see a Muyon Roji anime quite some time because a recent uh, survey conducted by Anime Japan, uh, the Anime Anything and Everything ranking, let people uh, rank their favorites in uh, anime-related categories. And so there was they conducted an anime adaptation poll from uh, February 23rd to March 2nd, and then they re- announced the results uh, recently. And so Muyo and Roji was actually one of the results that uh, people voted for. It was one of the top ten. So, hey. So, hey, one of the things on that list is coming true. It's getting an anime. Uh, will it Shonen Jump Pier Siren perhaps one day get an anime too? One can only hope. Yeah, I hear I hear a lot of talk about Siren from like multiple people. I've had like random people ask me, "Hey, have you ever heard of Siren? That's pretty good." Like, I I, I imagine Siren probably has its still has its audience somewhat because it, it clearly left an impact on some people. So. I mean, I can't imagine maybe it'll maybe it'll get an adaptation at some point, maybe, if enough people want it. I don't know. Yeah, it's a surprising cult hit, so perhaps it will receive an adaptation one day. It's a very good series, so I would enjoy seeing a Siren anime. They could definitely do it in a in a streetcore one core uh four street core to one year kind of deal, I think would be good for it. Uh, and yeah, an other notable series on the list also include The Promised Neverland, which I think is almost guaranteed to get an anime eventually. Uh, there's also Bloom Into You, which we've discussed on the show before. That It's a series that I really like. And uh, yeah, I'd hope that would get an anime. I think that's one of the best Yuri titles on the scene right now. So I'd definitely love to see that animated. And then I'm not as familiar with some of the other stuff that came into the top 10, except that it does appear to be another fate type of series in here, a fate, strange fate. So, you know, uh, I guess there's more fate out there that people want to see animated. Uh, looks like the top of the list includes uh, Umehara Fighting Gamers, which I think is that f- uh, the fighting game manga about Daigo that's getting a release from uh, Udon. So that's that seems kind of interesting. Yeah. Seems like people want an adaptation of that, which I think that would be interesting. Yeah, but I can't say I recognize a lot of the other uh, series on this list, unfortunately. But it's really cool to have just so many awesome anime announcements of, like, classic manga properties come out recently and, like, underrated manga getting anime recently. It's just really exciting to see some, you know, classics and uh, some cult favorites get some love. But... With that, we are finally done with this news roundup. Finally! <laughs> I'm free! I'm free! I can finally I can finally go and and not talk about news for another couple of weeks. Or at least not as much. Oh man, I, I never want to do this again. <laughs> we did, but we did it, hey. We accomplished it. We accomplished talking about eleven pages of news, and it only took us four hours. Yeah, that, that's that's all it took. Um, so <laughs> we totally didn't start recording this at one a.m. and it, it, it totally isn't two thirty p.m. by the time we're finishing it. Yeah, it, it took us all night. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, well, uh, I hope I hope we did a good enough job covering all the news we could, or, or, you know, at least covering you know stuff that we still thought was relevant enough that we should bring up on the show. But uh, yeah, uh, hopefully next time we can actually get back to uh, 
actually get back to reviewing some other manga titles. Uh, Sid, do we want to talk about what we want to do? We want to talk about what we're going to talk about next episode. Yeah, I think our plan is to just talk about some of the recent jump starts, the recent three that came out uh, recently. Uh, Ziga, uh, Noah's Notes, and. Oh, I forget the last one too. Yeah, it shows how memorable it is. Uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, we'll talk about the recent jump starts. And we are also going to discuss a series that's currently running on Shonen Jump Plus called Fire Punch. Uh, just a, gonna do a f- what first volume review of that. Kind of have a shorter episode, you know, next time to kind of co- get us back into the swing of regular episodes. And then from there, we're hoping to continue our uh, retrospectives of classic jump series uh, in the future. But want to kind of recalibrate ourselves with kind of a normal episode next time. Yeah, we want to maybe focus on some sh- some shorter stuff, and then you know, hopefully, we can get to uh, you know, not not shorthand too early, but hopefully, we can get to our like discussions of stuff like World Trigger and Assassination Classroom here in the future. Mm-hmm. Because I definitely want to talk about both of those. Um, but yeah, next time we'll be talking about Fire Punch, and from what I hear, it's very weird. So I, I can't wait to take a look at it finally. Yeah, should be a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, I think that's about it for the show, Sid. Um, where could the good people find you? You can find me as Ramiyasha on Twitter, my anime list, and Animation Revelation. And basically, wherever you see the name Ramiyasha, that is me, and that's where you can find me. Uh, you can read my reviews on allcomic.com. I'm writing reviews of new chapters of Dragon Ball Super and various things that I end up reading uh, that I happen to write reviews for and you can just uh, look out for those and i think that's about uh, it all right and uh if you want to follow me you could follow me on twitter at sniper king 323 i do a, a whole ton of manga threads um and you know like i said i'm currently reading through stuff like world trigger and assassination classroom to you know eventually talk about on the show here so if you want to keep up with uh some of that stuff again follow me on twitter cypher king 323 um i do a few other podcasts such as life lessons the gintama manga cast though it's on a bit of a hiatus um slowly working my way towards doing that show again uh you can still listen to about uh 50 something episodes i've recorded about that show you know if you if you if you're a fan of gintama and you want to hear somebody talk about the manga specifically through the old viz release uh, you can follow that. Again, that's Life Lessons, the Gintama Manga Cast, uh, GintalifeLessons.wordpress.com. Or if you want something a little similar in structure, and you're uh, maybe you're a bigger fan of Detective Conan slash Case Closed, uh, please go listen to One Podcast Prevails at OnePodcastPrevails.wordpress.com. Uh, really enjoy recording that show, so if you're a fan of Detective Conan, you should go listen to that. And um, I think that's about it for my stuff. But, uh, you know, if you just want to follow us and All Comic, uh, obviously you can find more of this podcast over at allcomic.com, where we post every episode first. Uh, you can also follow All Comic on facebook.com slash all.comic or on twitter.com slash allcomic underscore. But if you just want to follow Manga Maverick specifically, you want to get the latest updates on uh, whatever's happening with us. Uh, you can follow us on on Twitter at manga underscore mavericks. You can also follow us on mangamavericks.tumblr.com as well as youtube.com slash mangamavericks. So yeah, definitely subscribe to our YouTube, uh, YouTube channel. 
uh, for the latest snippets of our podcast and, you know, whatever discussions we uh, feel like uploading there. Yeah, and exclusive stuff. Like, I've been uploading uh, some solo vlogs slash podcasts recently. And actually, uh, there is, like, some edited video content that will be appearing on the channel pretty shortly that I have worked on in spare snippets of time. So keep your eyes out for those. So yeah, you want exclusive stuff, uh, uh, again, redundantly, exclusive to our YouTube channel that you will not find on this podcast feed, uh, most likely, then yeah, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Again, that's youtube.com slash Uh But if you want to email us anything about uh, whatever, you know, what what manga are you reading? What, what anime adaptations are you most excited for? Uh, what do you think of uh, some of the news we've talked about on the show this week? Uh, uh, what do you think about Fire Punch? Um, email us anything about what you're thinking uh, about manga or the podcast in general and we'll read it on the show and you can send us those emails at mangamavericks.gmail.com but the most important thing guys is that you subscribe rate and review us on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts whatever they call it uh, give us give us a little more visibility on uh, on, on that site in particular uh, leave, leave us a review uh, we, we'd really appreciate it if you have the time so I think that's going to be about it for the show Uh, This has been episode 45 of the podcast, and we'll see you guys next time for episode 46. Bye, guys. Sayonara. Sayonara.